Show. I am Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave today. Unfortunately, Dave is still out ill, so please send your best wishes uh, for him, uh, and we will continue to uh, do so throughout the show. I am right now here with Hannah Webb Howard. Uh, she is the, what is it, Hannah, the president of the Second Amendment Society at the Bowen School of Law. President and founder. President Let's and founder. Let's be clear. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, president and founder... T- Talk into the mic there, Hannah. Um, uh, the, the the thing about uh, Hannah's uh, being the president and founder is uh, the other day we had a very nice event that she uh, organized, created, envisioned, and implemented <clears throat> in which a bunch of law students, uh, some of whom have never shot a gun, went out to the state range uh, in Mayflower, right? And we all shot some guns. And I think that's a very useful exercise because, as you know, the lefties are often uh, just talking nonsense when it comes to guns. Right. They shoot They shoot themselves. You know, the trigger goes off by themselves. Right. The guns uh, shoot of themselves. Course. Exactly. Um, and so the, the question is, uh, how do we have a viable conversation on guns with people who make often ridiculous statements or some people who often make ridiculous statements about those guns a good friend of mine understands guns and he would repeal the second amendment i disagree with him politically but he's not talking nonsense Uh, and the difficulty is when you have a conversation with someone who has a similar political view but who doesn't know the facts and so i really commend you for having this event because it is a way to bring people into a common conversation about actual facts. And as you know, the left likes to decry conservatives as anti-science. Well, the the foundational uh, basis of science is facts. And so if you have a conversation about guns, you need to have the basic facts. And you your event... Uh, has allowed people to start to move in that direction. And before I turn it over to you just to say a little more about what occurred and what you have in mind in the future for the Bowen Second Amendment Society, uh, I would like to uh, uh, resurrect the uh, funny story that we talked about last time we were on the air when you had invited someone to come along and that person said, well, no, I wouldn't want to come to that uh, because uh, I would never shoot a person. Uh, and as we discussed, no, 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 Mayflower, that's only paper targets. So uh, we'll have to look into what other ranges have um, live individuals. I don't think there are any. Though. Live target practice. L- live target practice. Send your letters to Zach. That's care of 101.1 FM, the answer. So uh, just tell us, how do you feel the event went? And what do you have planned for the future for the Second Amendment Society? So the event went better than I could have imagined. Just the feedback was great, first of all. And so, interesting, the person who made the statement about 
well, I'm not going to hold a gun because I never intend to shoot anyone. That's the only negative pushback that I got, which, of course, they're not going to come confront me and tell me all their issues with my society. But we had an overwhelming response and people who wanted to join the club just in general. I mean, blew me out of the water. But even more than that, there were several people, there were several, even several people who came Saturday or Sunday that were not part of the club. They genuinely just came to learn. And that's the whole point of the club. That is from day one been the whole point of the club. Um, but even apart from that, I had people at school. I had a girl, I kid you not, tell me, listen, I'm super liberal, but I love guns. I really want to come hang out with y'all. And so that's the whole point, right? And exactly. so that was the, if I could have captured her statement on video and then just let that be our motto the entire time, I would have. So all around, the response has been incredible. The participation has been incredible. And so we just want to expand even from there. You know, everyone has asked me who was attended, you know, when's the next one? Everyone who couldn't come, okay, when's the next one? And so people are excited about it. And it brought a lot of people together. So we're going to keep keep doing our thing. That's great. Uh, Ed Monk is a often guest of Dave Ellswick here on the show. And he's an expert in guns. And I know Ed Monk well. And... Ed Monk has invited the Second Amendment Society to come out to his uh, last resort uh, range and school out there in uh, Whitehall. Is that right? Whitehall? Yes. Right. Um, And uh, we're going to do it, I think, right? Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. They have a real nice facility. Ed has a real nice facility down there. He does it with his brother, in fact. They're both um, law enforcement. Uh, Ed is a former um, uh, Army officer. Major, I think. Uh, He was a tank commander, uh, and he's a West Point graduate. So he knows a little bit about uh, firearms, uh, big and small alike. And so we'll uh, try to arrange something out there in the near future as well. Maybe we can make up T-shirts that say, uh, Second Amendment Society, uh, we shoot only paper targets. I I think that's a great idea. I actually think we should. I think that we should, you know, trademark that and and sell it. So we'll see. What what was also interesting, when we were out at the range, as you know, uh, perhaps better than me because you grew up here, uh, that it's the beginning of deer hunting season. And so there were a bunch of folks out there with their deer rifles, uh, you know, sighting them in. Sure. And some very nice rifles, incidentally. And I got to talk to some of the folks out there. Some people, they, they put them together. They make their own stocks and that kind of thing. Really beautiful-looking pieces of machinery. Uh, I, I know that uh, I can see the liberals' faces melting when you use the phrase beautiful alongside that of a firearm. But it really is. Well, they are extra loud, so they've got to be extra scary. Exactly. You know, of course. And so they had uh, the various thirty calibers, right? They had the, uh, there were some thirty odd sixes, some thirty thirties, uh, some three oh eights, and then the cut down two seventies, uh, which is a, a variant, incidentally, for though I suspect most of Dave's audience knows this, but a variant of the thirty caliber uh, rifle bullets. That, by the way, were the were the bullets that the military used before they went down in size, down in size to what they use now. So when you hear the left talking about uh, so-called assault weapons and the bullets that they're using, the bullets that are being used now by the military are actually smaller and less uh, potent, uh, only because you don't need such a... You need it for a deer, but you don't need it if you're in combat shooting at other human beings. But in any event, if you go out to a range... 
and you talk to the people there like I did, then you can very easily and very quickly see the actual differences amongst the guns and amongst the bullets. And so when you hear people talk about, well, you know, those ARs, those are those are weapons of war or they're military style. And you realize that of all the guns out there on the range, uh, when comparing them to what are now deer rifles, but what used to be the weapons that quite literally the military used, the newer weapons are, are smaller and less potent. But, of course, I don't mean to suggest any less deadly in an average shootout against a human, but but certainly not somehow unique. So when the left tries to ban those guns, What's clear is at least two things. One, they have no understanding between uh, or amongst the differences uh, of guns. And secondly, that it's most likely a ploy by the left to really just begin down the road of banning all sorts or perhaps all guns entirely. Because banning ARs is a largely random event of banning a slightly less potent gun than what most deer hunters ca- uh, uh, carry yeah so i i think it's uh, it's an inform it's informative and educational act to go out to the gun range and if lefties want to talk about what's uh, the so-called common sense gun control if i what does that even mean I, I don't what know. is common sense i just threw up a little in my mouth so i'm not really sure um but uh nonetheless uh, if they want to talk about that let them have some understanding. Come out with us. I mean that sincerely. Come out with us. We will not make fun of you. I make fun of the lefties on the radio because that's what you do on radio. But I won't make fun of a, of a lefty that comes out to the gun range uh, to shoot a gun. In fact, I will do everything to help them understand what the gun is about. And if at the end of the day they walk away and say, I'm still opposed to people having guns, my response will be, well, that's what I would expect, but hopefully now you at least understand a little bit more about it. Well, and isn't that the whole point, to just kind of agree to disagree, but be able to civilly do life together? So you're not going to come, you're not going to accidentally get shot at a gun range. So come hang out with us, just see what it's all about, and let's either, one, find a common interest that, hey, we agree on everything else, but we'll come do this for fun on the weekends, or... Hey, I really didn't like that. Let's like go get lunch instead of shoot guns. You know, and so that's right. the whole point. There shouldn't be some big divide between hey, we can't even have civil conversations about anything just because of political views. It's ridiculous. And really, the left has done a wonderful job, I say sarcastically, of demonizing the right. And of course, we are all at this point well aware of. Uh, Obama's famous saying, uh, and I don't know if I have it exactly, but something about people uh, of middle America uh, clinging to their guns and Bibles. Uh, And my response to that is, amen, brother. Absolutely. Amen. I cling to my Bible and I cling to my gun. I also cling to a lot of other things. But there's uh, those are things. And they're both on my bedside table. (laughs) Well, there you go. Just don't mix them up when the the time is needed. Um, But... It's interesting because the Bible, of course, is a book of um, precepts on how to live one's life. Uh, And, of course, we believe in its divine uh, creation. But regardless, it's a book telling people how to live a good life. And so why it should be so terrible uh, for someone to cling to something like that just shows the antipathy that the left often has 
for religion. If rather than clinging to your Bible, uh, you were clinging to a book of poetry from Maya Angelou, would Obama ridicule it then? Uh, no, he wouldn't, because it really shows this anger towards religion. And then clinging to your guns, similarly, the left has this anger about it. Uh, notwithstanding that there are somewhere around 350 million guns in society, in American society right now, and a tiny percentage of those are used to commit wrongdoing by one individual on another individual. And so the notion that most people who have guns do so for their own personal protection, and those stories aren't carried nearly enough because those events happen every day in this country. Uh, And so why one would be Uh, um, not pleased by someone clinging to a means of self-defense the same way you might cling to a deadbolt on your your house or a security alarm uh, on your car. These are all things that are supposed to improve your well-being. But Obama showed his colors then, his real beliefs, uh, when he ridiculed Americans for clinging to their guns and to their Bibles. So I had the most interesting experience, probably one of the first times that I experienced or was a part of the hate that the left feels towards the right. They genuinely think that we are racist. They genuinely think that we hate them for who they are and want to be elite compared to them. They genuinely think we want to step on them as we go about our daily lives. And and the conversation was not only conservatives, but also Christian conservatives. And so that was the first time in my life I've been in that situation. And what broke my heart about it more than anything was I agreed on the specific issue that the event was geared towards. I agreed wholeheartedly with them. And I felt, so my heart is with the people. I just think that there's different means to achieve the same end. But because I don't want to fix the problem the same way they do, I'm automatically evil and they have no desire to even entertain the fact that I actually care for them individually and care for them as people, not in some evil, racist, you know, Christian elite kind of way. And so that was interesting because first time I've ever experienced that and it was heartbreaking. We're going to pick up on that theme. It's an important theme where the left tries to demonize the right. For years and years, they got away with it by calling the right conservatives. And I think people like me, but I'm certainly not the only one, but relatively early in the forefront of saying, Really? Bring it on, baby, because I can prove otherwise. Uh, So we'll take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll pick up on that theme right now. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. Unfortunately, Dave is still out sick, so please send him your best wishes as we do so here right now. And I want to pick up on this topic that seems never-ending, and it's rather tragic, and it's how the left has demonized people on the right And it goes even further than that. The left now demonizes even those within the left uh, that don't agree with them or who don't agree with them. And this this has been their go-to move for years. And people on the right, uh, the, the Romney types, have succumbed to this for years. But people like President Trump have said, uh, no dice and push back. And those are just two examples of many, but they're two separate paradigms. And the right has learned you can't let the liberals brand you because then you're at the defensive. And I want to talk to you. I want to read to you 
uh, and of course the audience uh, from an article in the New York Times, which really sort of builds on this idea. And it's a it's an opinion piece. Now, mind you, I realize in the New York Times that's virtually everything they publish, but this one is actually labeled as an opinion piece. Piece. So that's where it stands in contrast to most of what's being put out by the New York Times. And the title is On the Front Lines of Progressive Anti-Semitism. Right? And so the notion is here that people on the left have become the anti-Semites. And that's true. And so let's read a little from this article and then uh, offer some, I want to offer some thoughts and I'll, of course welcome you to do the same. Uh, and so the article is written by, let's see here, uh, a fellow by the name of Blake Flayton, uh, who's a sophomore at uh, George Washington University. Uh, and right under the title, but before you get to the article, to give you some perspective on this individual and to demonstrate that he's a lefty, a proud lefty, and I have no problem with that, meaning I don't agree with him, but good, be proud. Uh, he says, I'm young, gay, left-wing, and a Jew, yet I'm called an apartheid enabler a baby killer, and a colonial apologist. Why? Why? Because he supports the state of Israel. He supports a free state of Israel, the only democracy in the Middle East, by the way, land in which Jews have lived since before the time of Jesus, and yet, when you talk to people on the left, in, in the Arab world, in uh, Europe, uh, they will tell you, well, Jews are transplants after World War II. Wait, what? What? Yes, there have been various times in which Jews have been sent away from the land of Israel. But Jews have always lived in the land of Israel, whether or not you uh, agree with the biblical right that Jews have to the land of Israel. And then after World War II, as was done, by the way, after World War I, where they were making up countries as they went along. This land was not in the hand of the Arabs. It was not in the hand of the Turks, who had it before uh, the British. It was in the hands of the British. And the British said, we'll give up this land if the UN wants to give part to the Jews and part to the Arabs. And the Jews said, okay. And most countries in the world said, okay. But the Arab world said, no, not good enough. We want it all or nothing. Guess what, baby? There are two options there, and you didn't win out. So let's read, read a little from this article. Uh, we're going to have to take a break at, at the bottom of the hour. So I, I, I'll read a couple of uh, lines from it, and then we'll come back to it after the break. He said, um, like so many others, my family came to this country escaping discrimination in the old country and facing injustice in the new. And he goes on to talk about issues that I've talked about before. You know, I'm a first-generation American, and my parents uh, came here via Israel, but my father was born in Poland and survived World War II, luckily, by escaping the Nazis after being exposed to them uh, by uh, he and his family living under Stalinist communist rule. Uh, no um, great parade, but better than the alternative. And so uh, this author says, the student, no less, as a sophomore at GW, whose student government last year passed the boycott, divestment, and sanctions proposal, I now find myself pushed to the fringes of a movement I thought was at the, at the heart of, marginalized as someone suspicious at best and oppressive at worst. That is because I'm a Zionist. 
That is because I, like 95% of American Jews, support Israel. I want to add to that. I want to give you my commentary. It's not only 95% of American Jews. It's virtually every conservative Christian in America as well. Because we all hold similar ideals, ideals that are consistent with uh, the belief that democracy is the best form of government, uh, as flawed as it may be. And that Jews have been in the state of Israel uh, well before uh, um, Jesus' time, and they should remain there. With others, it's fine. 20% of Israel right now, of Israel proper, is Arab. So be it. That's great. Think about that. And we're going to take, we're going to take our hard break, and then we'll come back, and we will continue this discussion afterwards. This is a Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this Friday, not-so-warm afternoon. We are talking about how the left constantly attacks people who have even marginally moderate views. And so I'm reading from an article in the New York Times, an opinion piece in the New York Times, in which a Jewish gay liberal student at George Washington has the temerity in the eyes of the left to support the only democracy in Israel uh, and its continued existence. Of course, we're talking about, did I say the only, the only, the only democracy in the Middle East? I, don't, I think I misworded that. In any event, of course, we're talking about Israel. I started to read briefly from the article, and I want to pull out a few uh, more segments from this opinion piece, Hannah, and uh, talk with you about them, because it's really remarkable. If you disagree with the leftist orthodoxy, you're a racist. You know, it's sort of, what was it, that Bill uh, Bill Ingvall, right? You know, here's your card, uh, you, um, uh, a comedian. Um, or the other a guy that said, you might be a redneck. What was his name, Zach? You know, the guy that does, uh, you might be a redneck. It's a funny bit, in any event. Um, so, uh, you might be a racist, uh, uh, might be another uh, bit that we can do for the leftists, and this is how it goes. If you disagree with leftist orthodoxy, you are a racist. That's it. If you disagree with what the left has to say, if you think that uh, people shouldn't have uh, um, the automatic right to have an abortion at eight months and uh, 29 days, well, then you're a racist. Naturally, you know, that naturally, racist naturally felt exactly. close from that. Well, then they'll, then they'll brand you a misogynist, right? So we'll, 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 we'll tweak it a little bit. If you support the state of Israel in any form as a homeland for Jews as it has always been, well, then you're a racist. Well, then you're a racist, you see. If you believe that our country should have enforceable borders, well, then you're a racist. If you don't want to put up uh, um, any uh, impediment for people to simply walk across the border, well, then you're a racist. If you don't want to pay for the health care of uh, illegal immigrants so that some money could be available to take care of hardworking uh, and uh, unable to work Americans, well, then you're a racist. And so this is the problem with the left. If you disagree with the left, you're a racist. So Jeff Foxworthy. Said, there it is. Jeff Foxworthy. So that same event that I was in the other day. 
Um, of course, I've, I've, I've felt personally victimized being a Christian conservative white person in the room. Racist! You know, exactly. Racist! You know, I, there were points in time where I would just have assumed crawled under the table and just melted. But, you know, the whole point and their whole, you know, the end of, we, we didn't talk about Trump a single time. And then we wrapped it up talking about Trump. And they genuinely believe that Trump is a racist and speaks nothing but hate and racism. And they genuinely believe that. And they think he has such a strong following because he somehow awakens all the racists in the country. They genuinely think that of us. They think we are nothing but white Christian. They think we're the elitist who are just rebel roused by Trump and his hate speech. And seriously, and they tied that awakening in us to, well, children in schools are now fighting more because they're just, you know, so internally bothered by the hate speech that flows from this president. And there's no other explanation for the hawk in disagreements and scuffles in school children hallways, which, of course, is ridiculous. Of course, you have no ability to draw those types of conclusions. Those causal assertions are absolutely ridiculous. Well, and so the the, uh, the whole symposium was the school to prisons pipeline, which, of course, is, well, there's these minority students who are singled out by their teachers um, from some ingrained bias that these teachers have because they are minority students. And so they spend their entire childhood education either suspended or expelled. And then that translates in their adult life to they immediately go to prison for, you know, this, that, and the other, all because of ingrained bias and racism in these teachers and you know their whole point was you know we want to go in and retrain you to look at them you know we want to get the police out of schools we don't want there to essentially we don't want there to be discipline for these minority children and it's all motivated by the underlying racism of you white Christian conservatives. And you know, not even conservatives, just you white people. Seriously. And, and that, that was the conversation. It's, it's a new development in society. And of course, the left says, well, this is just white grievance culture now. Well, here's the thing. It's the only group in the press today where the left uh, routinely says, well, this is a problem of um, white this, white men. I can't tell you how often I've heard that phrase. Well, that's just a bunch of old white men. Yeah, you're everything that's evil in the world. You're white and you're a man. And now you live in the South. Right, exactly. And uh, that's very kind of you uh, not to call me old, but Zach was rolling your eyes when you skipped over that one. Zach's like, he old! Right, Zach? No, Zach. We are on air. I thought I'd be plot. Exactly. There's a first for everything, ladies and gentlemen. Um, let's continue with this article, which is on this very point, and I appreciate your uh, salient points. Uh, and the author goes on to say, my view is not at all shared by the progressive activist crowd I encountered on campus. They have made it abundantly, abundantly clear to me and other Jews on campus that any form of Zionism, folks, let me step out of the article for a moment. You may not be terribly familiar with the term Zionism, or you might, but it's a very simple term. It means a state of Israel that is a homeland for Jews. It doesn't mean a state of Israel that excludes other people from living there. There have always been non-Jews, of course, Arabs, largely Muslim, but some Christian Arabs, and always 
uh, Christian non-Arabs as well living in the state of Israel. And all three major religions are guaranteed the ability to practice their religions. Actually, there's another religion, uh, Baha'i, that has its headquarters in Haifa in Israel. It's huge and beautiful uh, headquarters. Uh, and all religions are able to thrive in Israel. Tell me what other Middle Eastern country uh, you can do that in. Uh, none. Wait, wait, let me, hold on. Let me, let me get a, a new pen so that I have enough ink to write down all the other countries. Done. I'm finished. That's right. Because no other country in the Middle East can you do this in. But yes, that's right. Zionism, that is a state that guarantees the right of Jews to practice their religion in their historical and biblical, and you can choose either or both homeland. Well, that's, that's evil. That's evil, says the left. The author goes on to say that the left on campus has made it clear to him that even his form of Zionism, his pro-Jewish state of Israel beliefs, that criticizes various policies of Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, who, incidentally, as you know, uh, Hannah is a conservative, and seeks a just two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, is a political non-starter to these lefties. For these, uh, to the lefties uh, at his school uh, and similar groups on campuses and cities around the country, Zionism itself is, and I'm quoting, to parrot the Soviet propaganda of several decade, decades ago, racist. That's it. This is what we've been talking about. If you support some leftist agenda, agenda that's not leftist enough, racist, there it is. You're racist. So you support a liberal state of Israel that allows all religions, all peoples, to practice their beliefs in that country. That's racist, according to the uber-left. That's why they've become unhinged. They have absolutely, they have absolutely lost it. And so... Uh, this this person, this liberal um, uh, um, student, gay and Jewish, I mean, those are all recipes for people who are liberal, but they're not necessarily recipes for uber leftists. And that's why he has a conflict now, because he has the temerity to believe in the existence of the state of Israel as being a Jewish state. Now, how complicated is that? How complicated is that? You know, I think we just had uh, the wonderful Representative Dan Sullivan uh, walk in the room. Dan, I'm not going to let you say very much right now because I'm going to introduce you, and then I'm going to have Zach uh, send us to a, to a commercial so we can get that out of the way, and we may even have someone on the phone. Yeah, we do. So we'll, we'll come back in just a minute, but uh, Dan Sullivan, soon-to-be state senator, Dan Sullivan, if I have my way, and I think the people of uh, Jonesboro will agree with me, uh, will be uh, a part of our conversation. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. This is a Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. Ladies and gentlemen of the audience, we have a treat for you today. We have on the phone uh, Brett Toman. Uh, which one of these? Are you going to take care of it, Zach? You know, I'm not good with the technology. We have on the phone uh, Brett Toman who's the former U.S. attorney for the state of Utah. He and I worked together uh, as counsel uh, on the United States Judiciary Committee. 
Uh, he has an attribute envied by most and mirrored by few, and that is the ability never to age. Uh, and he is routinely seen on... Uh, on Fox News at any hour of the day. If you follow him uh, on his uh, Twitter feed, he will tell you, at 5.45 a.m., I'm going to be on Fox News, or at 7.30 at night, I'm going to be on Fox News. I don't think the man sleeps, so there's no aging, there's no sleeping, but there is a portrait of him in the closet aging uh, to take up all of that uh, waste. Brett, it is a pleasure to have you on the air. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Rob. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me again. Now, if I recall, you're in New York. What are you doing in New York? Is it Fox News related or are you just seeing some musicals? It, it is It is Fox News related. I've been working on, uh, you know, trying to help them out understand all of this impeachment. So. Well, that's what we are going to um, basically... Uh, uh, um, yeah, suckle on the teat that is Brett Tolman and get as much information directly out of you instead of having it filtered by Fox on that very topic. Uh, so um, first, uh, b- before we get into it, I just want to briefly mention, I just saw in the news the other day that the governorship uh, of uh, Utah is going to be open soon because the current governor apparently is not running for re-election. I have no idea who that is, by the way. That's my ignorance. And I am uh, sincerely hopeful that you will consider a run uh, for that position. Um, uh, but you don't have well, to answer right now. That's nice. Nice of you. Uh, we just learned that John Huntsman is, has thrown his hat in the ring. So there are a couple of, um, you know, oh, I know. Early... I know of John Huntsman quite well. Yep. Let me yep. reiterate. I hope you run for governor. OK, <laughs> I, I made that comment well aware of John Huntsman <laughs> running for that position. In fact, probably I make that comment more freely. Uh, now that I know that John Huntsman's running for that position, well, I appreciate that. I would, I would, um, I would consider um, that position. It's one of the few elected positions that I think maybe I, I, I could make a difference. Um, as you and I both know, working in the Senate, we <laughs> we saw how tough it is to be in the in the actual Congress and try to make a difference. Indeed, indeed. Although you had worked. Uh, directly for Senator Hatch. I worked indirectly uh, for Senator Hatch, uh, and that is a man uh, who really did make a difference. He got so much done. Of course, there was a lot left on the table, as there always is, but he got so much done, it really was impressive to watch him. Yeah, you know, he kind of understood what you and I long ago knew about the Senate, and that is um, you have to figure out how to get a bill passed. As yeah, as you might recall, he said to us both uh, when we were in a meeting, "I'm trying to pass a bill." Uh, and we can we can fill in the details of that story at some later point. Uh, Brett, what do we need to know about this impeachment? Uh, um, uh, talk to us uh, as you would have generally talked to me when we work together, like I'm a three year old. <laughs> well, you know. I don't think a lot of people understand that what's happening on the impeachment side. They, you know, people are wondering, is this, you know, is this politics or is this, you know, a legitimate inquiry? And it's it's a far cry from what happened when Nixon and when Clinton were uh, going through impeachment. Uh, here, you don't have a clamoring by both sides or an interest in both sides into sort of uncovering facts that are gravely concerning to them. And... <coughs> 
and you you have one side that has pushed a a narrative that seems to be shifting and adjusting to um you know meet the uh theories and the expectations of those that are in charge of the impeachment inquiry and then on the other side you have folks saying you know this is this feels unfair and it feels like we're not affording uh the president any due process and we're involved in a in a political uh show or theater and i have to tell you that you know i I think you can see that there is some accuracy to the this being a theater uh in fact brett you know i what i find amazing is every one of the liberal commentators, uh, some of them call themselves news reporters. I think they are exaggerating in what they do. But every one of them will ask a question to some Republican and say, do you think it's okay for the president to hold back funding in exchange for dirt on his opponent? And what I find remarkable about that is that is a formulation that presumes the outcome. That is, yes. he talks about, the president talks about on that phone call, for which we have the transcript, he yes. says, I want you to look into this corruption involving Bur- Burisma and, and the Bidens. By the way, nobody mentions the Burisma part, right? They only mention the Biden part. <laughs> um, and so Biden might be one of his opponents or his opponent might not be. And moreover, I, is there some sort of get out of jail free card that if you're running for office, then the government uh, and law enforcement, the president, the chief amongst the law enforcement for the federal government is not allowed to look into your behavior because you've been exonerated in advance by running in the Democratic primary? Meaning they say about, well, he's looking for dirt on his opponent. How about he's looking to find out? What happened involving a guy who might or might not be his opponent, but that's not what he's looking into. He's looking into this dirt, uh, this wrongdoing, this uh, potentially corrupt behavior regarding some guy who might be an opponent. Aren't those two entirely different descriptions of the events? Yes, so... I have been, you know, you started this out saying that the narrative seems to suggest, hey, isn't it a problem if someone, you know, is withholding aid for dirt on their political opponent? I just had that exact dialogue with a former law partner of mine who identified, who wanted me to admit that that would be a problem. And I had to come back to, that's a problem but that's not what we're actually talking about. What we're talking about is a president who is concerned about money that's gone to the Ukraine in the past, when they have been a country that has been unwilling to clean up the corruption in their country, and do we continue to send taxpayer dollars to a country that refuses to clean up its corruption issues. And by the way, I'm concerned. I'm going into this, you know, this, this, this next year and a half. I'm concerned about the fact that we're learning that Biden's son was part of an oil company, the board of an oil company, where he was getting paid enormous sums of money 
he was getting paid the equivalent of more than what most people in this country make per year, per month. And that company has been identified as recently as two days ago by the witnesses for the Democrats that as a company that they were gravely concerned about its corruption. And, it, and, and so this is, this is the narrative that is, is beginning to shift. And I think that's why you also see that they're changing the story from a quid pro quo to, oh, hey, it's bribery because they're scrambling to find something that is going to compel the American public to say, hey, I'm really concerned about what this president is doing. But nobody's talking about what the actual dialogue and discussion was on that phone call. Indeed, what you, you therefore bring us to sort of the next related discussion, I think, of this transcript. Incidentally, we're going to go to break in about a minute. I hope I can hold you over to the next segment. When do you have to get off the line, Brett? Sure. Um, no, I've, I've got a few minutes. Good, good. So um, the... The, the transcript shows that the president is asking about this potential corruption. And all I hear from the left, and this was well embodied by um, Anderson Cooper. We saw this and it was there was a meme about it, right, where he, again, presumed the answer in his question. He said, well, that's a discredited theory about corruption, wrongdoing, etc., involving, be it Ukraine, uh, Biden, and or Burisma. And... Again, my response to that is, A, you don't know that. And B, here's the thing. What happens if the president's wrong? He's asking for an investigation. He didn't say, I want a determination of wrongdoing. He says, I want an investigation into something that I heard about. Maybe the president got bad advice. Maybe it turns out there is no corruption. I'm suspicious, mind you. But maybe for the sake of argument that there is no corruption. Is he not allowed to ask about that? Is that somehow improper? He didn't say, I want you to string this guy up. I want you to make up lies on this guy. He said, I want you to look into this issue. He's the chief law enforcement officer in America. Think about that, and we'll come back after break. Zach, I'm as professional as a as a one-armed basketball player. Uh, in any event, this is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave Ellswick. We are here with Hannah Webb Howard and uh, soon-to-be Senator Dan Sullivan. And we have on the phone a former United States Attorney for the state of Utah, Brett Tolman. Brett, what's the next thing that we need to know? Or should we just be tuning out... This whole impeachment nonsense in the first place, as you pointed out before the break, the Democrats are bobbing and weaving to try to keep themselves relevant. They 
in my mind, haven't been very successful. Maybe they're ginning up their base. Maybe there's some strategy there that I'm not aware of. What should we be paying attention to? Well, I think we need to pay attention to who the Democrats are going to allow the Republicans to have as witnesses. They've requested Hunter Biden, Joe Biden. They've requested the uh, whistleblower. They've requested that um, a few additional witnesses that uh, so far we've not heard whether or not the Democrats are going to let them have the witnesses. Um, You saw today it was rather uh, eye-opening to me, and and Rob, you probably have a perspective on this that's that's as valid as mine, but, you know, we went through a lot of hearings in the Senate and and watched how both sides, even when they disagree, they work work through uh, tough sentences or tough uh, hearings. And here we had had an instance in which uh, the chairman, Adam Schiff, uh, refused to allow Nunez to the ranking member to uh, yield his time to another member of Congress. It's unheard of. And shut, it's unheard of. And shut down that and, and indicated that he could either ask questions himself or he could yield to the unelected staff attorney, but could not yield to another Republican elected member of Congress. I mean, that just smacks uh, of of uh, unnecessary rules uh, and of protectionism and... Well, and it's make-believe. It's It's entirely make-believe. I I, I saw it today, just I caught a clip of it where Trump had said something not nice about that ambassador. And I'm not saying that I necessarily agree every time he says something not nice about somebody, but he said something not nice about this ambassador. By the way, he's entitled to his opinion. Even if you think his opinion is wrong, he's entitled to his opinion and he's entitled to share that opinion. So this woman is testifying testifying as we speak uh, um, or at the, as, as the tweet is coming out before Congress and Schiff interrupts the proceedings to read the tweet and then to uh, warn that it is trying to intimidate the witness from testifying while she's testifying. How do you intimidate a witness not to testify while they're in the middle of testifying and are unaware of the tweet? Yes. And, uh, you know, if you read the tweet, they're making a big deal that it was intimidating. It points out that he didn't he doesn't believe she was good at what she did. She, he doesn't believe that the president of Ukraine had had much respect for her. Um, she's no longer in her position. And I've seen intimidation of witnesses. We've we've heard and read about, you know, prosecuting the mob and what they've done uh, in, in this is not that. This is looking for every opportunity to to add to their narrative because they're worried their narrative might not be enough. Well, indeed, you know that it's you've characterized it uh, so well because it's oh, you're wearing a blue tie. That's intimidating. It's sort of before you came on the air, I was talking with uh, one of the folks here in the studio, Hannah, and we were talking about how the leftists, if they don't like what you have to say, you're a racist or a misogynist or any other ist that you can come up with at the moment. Phobe gets thrown in there every once in a while, but they're all the same. And so it's the same kind of variant of this leftist philosophy, which is if you do something that we don't like, we've got a word for that. Regardless of whether that word relates at all to what you're doing. So, oh, you're saying you're doing something we don't like? Uh, that's intimidation. You, you're doing something we don't like? Uh, that's impeachable. Well, what I did was say that I don't like Schiff. That's impeachable. It's just. Yes. You, you have Northwestern University that has 
uh, you, you know, is, is going to have conservatives come and and give speeches or to you know address uh, a group of people on their university. They have protesters that are disrupting to the point that they aren't allowed to carry on. So they do what anybody would do, and they take care of the protesters, only later to apologize that they may have traumatized the protesters. Oh, traumatized. We're living in an age where, yeah, we're living in an age where we are not, um, we're more worried about the reaction and the emotions of those around us than we are about the substance. Well, you heard, and that's, you're exactly right, Brett. You heard about, I forget, it might have been my alma mater, Penn, but I can't recall now. One school uh, the, the, was, the school newspaper was lambasted for calling ICE to get an opinion, or calling Homeland Security to get an How dare you call Harvard. them? They're a bunch of Nazis. Yeah. A bunch of Nazis. That's right. that, that was Harvard. And was it Harvard? They, uh, yeah, they asked, they, they asked them for um, a comment on, a, on an article they were doing. And just asking ICE to comment, and ICE refused to make a comment. They were mad that they reached out to ICE and said that that was a that was inappropriate and making a you know sending a message that could traumatize those and put those that you know are concerned about ICE in jeopardy. Here's my that's question: the age we're living in. That's right, Brett. Brett. I'm constantly traumatized by having to listen to the whining of the left, watching them hug trees and eat granola. Can I therefore <laughs> foreclose them from doing all three of those things? You would need the media. Yeah, I need the media behind me, and I don't have it. That's why I'm on radio. I'm going to do my own media. It's it, right. It, it, did you hear about uh, uh, Ben Shapiro went out to, I think, Stanford uh, to speak? Yes. And they, I think they quite literally called him a Nazi, right? The, the, the religious Jew we have who a wears Jewish a yarmulke. American who wears a yarmulke. Right. Who, who doesn't is, work on the Sabbath. Conservative. Yeah. That's right. Right. And who's been critical of conservatives and liberals both. That's he, right. He, he, you know, very true to, you know academic principles that's right and they're accusing him nazi of being a nazi. nazi nazi and they accuse they accuse candace owens owens as being racist yeah who incidentally for those that don't know is a black woman racist yeah. nazi this, is, the, this yeah. is what we're living in <laughs> yeah i was just down at my local uh, kkk meeting um when, when i walked in wearing my jewish star and you know what they told me they said you can come in but you gotta take the jewish star off it, send the letters to zach folks right directly to zach at 101.1 the answer um it's just so ridiculous you know that that they it's the knee-jerk reaction of the left. If we disagree, if yeah, if we the left disagree with you, you must be an ist, right? You're a racist. What concerns me, and what concerns me, Rob, is they're willing to sacrifice um, important rights that are granted us under the Bill of Rights, like the First Amendment. They're willing to sacrifice those if they. If they stand between them and their beliefs and positions, that's right. And now, it's I'm here to tell you, I don't hear conservatives saying, "Oh, I, you know, I'm going to shut you down using violence, or I'm going to shut you down, uh, you know, protesting if I disagree with what you have to say." But I do hear that from the left. That's exactly right. 
And the real tragedy of it all is the left is deserving of credit for being at the vanguard of the First Amendment in the 60s. They were the absolutely. They were the ones that brought about the protections of the First Amendment, not conservatives. Conservatives yeah. were on the wrong side of that argument. But you know what? You know what? That's over half a century ago, and they've lost it. They've given it up. And the conservatives are now the protectors of the freedom of, of speech as well as the rest of the Constitution. Yes, and you and I both know, even even as recently as you know, 15, 20 years ago, when we were in the Senate, um, both sides still seem to adhere to those, you know, the, the respect of those very important basic tenets of our, you know, republic. But it's not that way anymore. It does not feel that way. That's exactly right. We worked, as you know, we worked on a, a several large bills that became laws, uh, and we worked closely with other Republicans, and we worked closely with Democrats. And we got into disagreements. We got into uh, um, uh, slight arguments. I think that's when you characterized me as the professor before I was even becoming a professor. And, that's right. Uh, right? Do you recall that? Uh, and so— um, uh, but we got it done also. Uh, and that was the beauty. Uh, and look, uh, I'm not saying that um, some of the intransigence uh, can't be um, attributed to some at times uh, what conservatives do. But I've got to be honest with you in today's um, uh, government, federal government in Congress, uh, it's the left. That's stopping us from doing something. Explain this to me, Brett. You know what? I'm going to ask you this question. I want you to think about it. Can I keep you on for one more segment? Do you have time? Good. Um, Sure. So um, uh, I want you to think about this question. If Trump, as a builder, who says he wants to do a big infrastructure bill, which sounds a lot like a Democratic idea, right? The Democrats have talked about infrastructure for years, and he can't get it done, not because he doesn't want to do it, not because he can't line up at least some Republicans to back him, but because the, the Democrats, rather, are unwilling to work with him at all. Think about that. We're going to take a break, and I'm going to bring you back for a final segment. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave. Unfortunately, Dave is still out sick, and we wish him our very best. We have Brett Tolman on for about another nine minutes. Brett Tolman is the former U.S. attorney for the state of Utah, a good conservative who is uh, going to be running for governor of Utah. Oh, no, did I get ahead of that, uh, Brett? Well, we'll deal with that later. So, um, uh, uh, Hannah, who is in uh, the studio with me, along with a state representative, Dan Sullivan, who will soon to be a state senator, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm a big supporter of, uh, here in the state of Arkansas. Hannah was in my, is in my class, and she reminded me during the break that I talked about Scalia, and I pointed out that Scalia made a very... Um, what you would call progressive opinion uh, when he revamped uh, the confrontation clause. And as a practicing criminal attorney, uh, uh, you might uh, very, you are very well familiar with that. And where now we have to look uh, when introducing hearsay evidence, whether a defendant's Sixth Amendment rights are being violated. So that's a lot of detail for an audience that doesn't need quite that much detail. But the point I'm trying to bring out and what I want to hand over to you 
for the last few remaining minutes is Scalia was undoubtedly a solid conservative, but he was also, and these are not inconsistent, so but might not be the right term, and also a firm believer in the Constitution. And the outcome was whatever the Constitution dictated. And if he didn't like the political outcome, but that's the outcome that the Constitution dictated, well, so be it. In other words, uh, for the um, well-known case, Hannah, what was the name of the case that uh, changed all that? You're not with me? Huh? Yes, that's the Crawford case. So in any event, uh, so the Crawford case was written by Scalia, and basically he lets a guy go because he reverses the case, who seemingly had done some really bad things and probably uh, um, should go to jail. But not if his constitutional rights are violated. And I don't see the left doing any of this, Brett. I see the left entirely motivated by the outcome, and they view the Constitution like a mirror. They put up the Constitution, and they say, what makes me feel good? What makes me look good? That's what the Constitution is. That's no Constitution. What do you say? Yeah, I I have been really... um interested to see how the left would respond to the notion that there needs to be a fair process, due process, which is a fundamental underpinning underpinning of the Constitution, even to the president when it comes to this impeachment. Now, they have they have fallen on their sword that the president isn't entitled to really due process because this isn't a criminal case. But I beg to differ. I think that when you need due process and fairness the most is when there might be the greatest susceptibility to the appearance of unfairness. Mm-hmm. If, the, if the president doesn't have the ability to have his lawyers ask questions, doesn't have the ability or seems to be, you know, the Democrats seem to be and the left seem to be suggesting that if the president has evidence of his innocence that he should bring that. I mean, think about all the language that they're using. It is... It is to deny the president this is a trial. It is the trial in the, in court, in the court of public opinion. They want to deny him the ability to put forth the best defense that he possibly could, as well as a presumption of innocence that we, we grant others. Make no mistake, this is a criminal trial that has the ultimate penalty for a pre- sitting president. Indeed, the, the, the investigation is whether he committed high crimes or misdemeanors. How do you not call that a criminal proceeding? That's right. That's right. The Constitution anticipated that they would give one body authority to come in and to put the president of the United States on trial. I mean, as remarkable as that is, you know, in other times we'd have a discussion about how amazing that is that we have something even in place for that. But it is the only mechanism with which we as a people can be assured that it's not politics that's driving it. It's not the whim of a few that's driving it, but that they would afford him the ability to not just defend himself, not just be represented, but also to have the same presumption of innocence that any defendant has, because this is his the ultimate criminal trial for a sitting president. But of course, doesn't it uh, look we're in some respects dancing around the obvious, which is they are not concerned with either process or outcome. They're concerned with the show that they're putting on. 
right? And it's like the Harlem Globetrotters. They, they, they want to dance around the basketball court uh, against a team that doesn't know how to handle a ball or is not permitted to handle the ball so that they can look like experts when it's all theater, just like the ha- Harlem Globetrotters were. That's right. They were denied their candidate winning. That infuriated them, and they had to deal with it. They had only themselves to really blame for it. But what did they do in response to the fact, in their mind, Hillary Clinton should have been president? They have responded with impeachment from 2016, discussion of impeachment. They responded with Russia collusion. They responded with, um, you, you know, the <laughs> the scandals that they attacked the president with. They responded with impeachment based on quid pro quo. Then they shifted to now it's bribery. What it tells you is they don't they don't necessarily have a clear path to get what they want, and so they have to make the game unfair so that they can ensure that they win. But, Brett, you seem to not have gotten the memo. I saw Hillary Clinton on television recently. She said she won. You didn't know that she won? She's <laughs> yeah. sitting in the White House right now. Otherwise— <laughs> this, Rob. They had, they, had, they had over two years and an unlimited budget to investigate based on the Russian collusion conspiracy theories, and they could not come up with a basis you know, to begin an impeachment. You're exactly alone. right. So that failed, <laughs> and then they start scrambling, you know, and it's like the kids that go out on Halloween, and they've, uh, they, they gave away all their good candy, and all they got left is the candy corn at the bottom of the bag that's unwrapped. And they're like, well, I guess we got to do an impeachment on this one because we ain't got nothing left. <laughs> I couldn't come up with a better analogy. Well, uh, you certainly couldn't come up with a more odd analogy. I'll grant you that. Uh, so, um, look, what what are your plans? We've got about two minutes left before I'm going to let you go. Uh, what are your plans? You're, you're practicing law, right, in Utah right now. What's the name of your firm? Yep, the Tolman Group, and Terrific. we are focused on policy. You know, I um, I spent enough time in the Senate to know that I didn't actually want to hold – I didn't want to run for Congress. Right. Uh, I didn't want to put my family through that or myself. Um, but I do want to still be a voice, hopefully, that can be heard. And uh, like you, I, I think that the conservative voice is going to be attacked um, like like no other voice going forward. And if we if we don't say anything, if we don't try to weigh in or make a difference, um, then we all lose. Absolutely. Well, Brett, it is always a pleasure and an honor to have you on when I'm guest hosting for Dave. Uh, your views are not only correct, uh, but they're well-informed and they're well-spoken. Uh, and uh, you uh, serve uh, the public well, uh, and hopefully you will uh, continue to serve the public well as part of the Tolman Group. And if I have my way, you will also uh, serve the public well as governor of Utah or an, another similarly situated uh, position uh, because because you have a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience, uh, and a good heart and a good mind. And that is a rare combination in politics these days. So thanks Thank again, you, and we're going to go to Thank a break. You. Okay, bye-bye. 
This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave today. In studio, we have Hannah Webb Howard and Representative Dan Sullivan. Dan, you haven't got a chance to say a word since you arrived, so let's give you that chance. What's going on? What are you doing in town, and what's going on with the race? Well, first of all, I enjoyed sitting here listening to the perspectives at the yeah. national level and what's going on. Uh, what's going on with the race? We're right in the middle of the you know, filing just ended. Right. So we're now we're firm that we have uh, Senator John Cooper and I are the only two in that race. Uh, and we're just out meeting people and uh, talking to folks and trying to promote the conservative message. That's terrific. Uh, that's what you're doing. And it strikes me that John Cooper, although he's running in the Republican primary, is essentially trying to uh, propound the liberal message. Well, you know, he held a town hall the other day and um, limited the questions that you could ask him. You know, I'm not familiar when people have a town hall. I would think your constituents could go wherever they wanted to go and ask you whatever question they wanted to ask you. However, John limited the questions to the things that he wanted to bring up. So he didn't talk about Second Amendment. That was against the rules to against talk about. The rules. And he's, he's the one that uh, killed the Stand Your Ground bill. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Or intended. Take In, it either indeed. way. Indeed. Uh, but he did not want to talk about that. Yeah. You know, he voted against uh, having Bible, the Bible in school as a, an elective, not a required uh, class, but as an elective. By the way, and I'm not mocking, would it be opposed to a class that studied like Eastern religions? That's the thing that kills me about these leftists. And let's be clear, he's a leftist because he shut down speech at a, a public debate. That's a leftist yeah, move. You're exactly right? right. And so would he be against a discussion, uh, a class on uh, like I said, Eastern religions? Uh, I, I bet you no. It's, it's almost an anti- Judeo-Christian approach to politics that we see from the left now. It's remarkable. But the foundation of this country is Judeo-Christian beliefs. And you can even say Christian. I'm Jewish, so maybe I add in the Judeo more often than I need to. Because Christianity builds on Judaism. right? So it's the same core beliefs. It's the same Ten Commandments. It's It's the same God. Same God. Right? The same God that you should, amongst other things, fear. And the liberals don't like that. Why should you fear God? You can't fear. You know why you should fear God? Because if you don't fear Fear God, you fear man. And God should be the final arbiter for your morality, not man. I think that's in our Declaration of Independence. We're very close to that. We're created in his image. That's exactly right. And our Constitution talks about we won't create any laws that supersede God's law. And God, those first ten command, our ter- first ten amendments, essentially were uh, God-given rights, not given by our government. Indeed. You know, and, and I would, you know, I, I wouldn't personally characterize John as a liberal, but I would characterize him as an authoritarian. You know, when I'm when not you, sure I see much difference, but I, <laughs> but I, I respect well, your distinction. Yeah, it certainly is when you don't allow your constituents to ask about what your voting record is. We, you know, we've we've. In many places, we're supposed to um, be the allow the people to tell the government what to do. That's it. And when the government that should comes, be every place. That should be every place. And when we, when you come back as a government official and you tell the people what they can and can't talk about, that's not why you were elected. You have to step up and and make that comment. Well, that's exactly right. It's it, I will not vote for an elected official who loses sight of the fact that he works for me. 
Right. And that's what the, the problem with bureaucracy, that is the unelected government workers, is that too many, not all, but too many of them figure, well, I'm a government worker. You can't tell me what to do. Here's the thing. As a government worker, you work for everyone. Now, that doesn't mean some guy walks off the street and tells you what to do, but you are ultimately answerable to the public. And too many bureau hacks don't understand that. There was, a, there was an opinion, I want to say from Missouri, uh, but it was in the Dem Gaz just now, uh, that someone brought a FOIA request and it was improperly denied. And the requester got something like thirty or forty thousand dollars in attorney's fees. That's right. And you know why that happened? Because some bureau hack decided that uh, they knew better than what people in the legislature had ordered them to do, and that is to be responsive to the citizenry with uh, providing public information to them. And that happens all the time in many different ways. It's no different uh, physically. You know, Arkansas has, I think, is one of the highest uh, states in the nation, ranked the highest, that uses the public's money uh, and has centralized spending. So we send our money to Little Rock, and Little Rock sends it back to us. So many states are are much better than Arkansas. Arkansas is like 80-some percent of our spending has to come through Little Rock. Through Little Rock, wow. And other states, are the average nationally is like 60 percent. Wow. So when we turn the money back to the local people, then... Let's be clear, though, Dan. When we turn some of it back to the (laughs) local people, because central government's got to skim off the top. Well, and and certainly they need to for certain things. But, you know, the the government, one of the ways to govern best is that government which governs locally. They know their needs. So when we are incentivizing companies to come into Arkansas, which is good... You know, if we're taking money from our rural communities, they may want to incentivize a grocery store to come in. You know, I've got several small communities in my town that would love to have a grocery store. They'd love to have a mut- enough uh, surplus income that they could offer some incentives. But when we suck that money up here in Little Rock and we give it out to them based upon what we decide is the best, then little communities or smaller communities are tending to lose all their people. You know, people are moving out of those because they can't incentivize smaller businesses in smaller communities. It's all about big business and big communities. Well, and it boils down to individual ownership, and I don't mean ownership of business, sort of self-ownership and individual responsibility. And that is, I work very hard for my money, even though Hannah might uh, disagree with me. I do be- disagree. There you go. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and uh, I think... Uh, most Arkansans work very hard for their money. And so when they see and they know that more of their money goes to government than stays in their pocket, they are understandably concerned. And then you see uh, unaccountable bureaucrats spending that money. In, in, well, they do two things. One is they skim up, skim off some of that money to pay for their own salaries. And then they spend that money on projects that they deem worthy rather than letting individuals make choices about their own lives. And we need to put more money in, leave, not put, leave more money in the pockets of hardworking Arkansans. And for all of those people say, well, we need the government to do this and that and the other thing, my response is, can't do it all. Well, what about this? Sorry. I don't. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we I got a packet I was looking at uh, yesterday, I think it was. It's probably an inch thick, both sides, small print of all the grants that we do. 
So where does the money from those grants come from? Yeah. It comes from the people. We send it down here. We give it back to them with strings attached and overhead. You know, we have to process it. We send it back to the local level. They have to have a grant supervisor. You know, our police department, they just talked in Jonesboro, this is, said we, we are, unfortunately, we have to fund a good portion of our police department on grants. Well, why, why don't we lead the city with some of their money? So that they and can spend they their own money? Right. Exactly. And that grant writer may be a police. Instead of a grant writer, we're hiring policemen and women to be out in the field. Right. But when we have this grant system that funds, uh, you know, just about everything, you know, we had a bill this last session about a music highway, and I think it was down in South Arkansas, and they wanted to put billboards up and, and recognize. That's a wonderful thing. Why are they coming to Little Rock right. to get the money? Right. Let them keep their money. And make their own decisions. Make their own decisions. Exactly. But yeah. some bureaucrat sitting in some dark office in Little Rock gets to make that decision? Yeah, they're not dark offices. Exactly. Nice big ones. No kidding. Amen, <laughs> And if brother. it eliminates the, uh, the need for a lobbyist, That's right. why do you come to lobby us? It would reduce the hours that we spend as legislators on these kind of things. So there's a lot of overhead and other expense goes in. That could be the savings to the taxpayer Amen. Uh, and redirect that money locally. And if I'm elected, that's one of the things I'm going to work very hard on is to help us get money from collecting it and spending it in Little Rock and just give it back. It's not a tax cut. It's not a tax increase. That's right. I want to, uh, We're going to go to break in a moment. Uh, and before, I want to highlight what I want to talk about when we come back. And it was an idea that you had in the last session. I can't remember if we introduced a bill on it or not, uh, but it's this idea that uh, municipalities, any government entity, shouldn't be spending taxpayer money on lobbyists. Your money oh, you're right. goes yeah. to lobbyists, my money. You know what? I don't care about your money, Dan. I care about my money. <laughs> and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. We should each care about our own money, care about each other as people, love each other as good Jews and Christians, but it's my job to look out for my money, and it's your right. job to look out for your money. And uh, why is some local government taking my money, hiring a lobbyist, so that those local bureaucrats, uh, unelected, can have, I don't know, shorter work hours or something else? Or that raise they want, your taxes. Or raise my taxes again. Yeah. So I want to talk about that sure. after we get back from the break, which we'll take right now. This is Dave Ellswick's show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this Friday afternoon in the studio. We have Hannah Webb Howard and we have Representative Dan Sullivan, who is running for state Senate uh, in the Jonesboro area. It's Craighead County. Craighead right? County, right. Uh, what's what's the, the name of the district, the number of the district? District 21. Terrific. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you had run well let's first pick up on what we left off before the break and that is uh, this issue um, regarding uh, having taxpayers fund private lobbyists to lobby to raise our taxes yeah I mean this is really this is the kind of thing that that you would read about in the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, right? It's, 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 <laughs> well, we may be there. Right. I mean, it's just, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. It's, all we need is the vomitorium and we will be in the Roman Empire. It baffles my mind that local governments can literally take my tax dollars, turn them over to private organizations, i.e. the Municipal League, that goes into the legislature and lobbies for higher taxes against me. Yeah, or raise your cell phone tax. Right. 
Yeah. You know, and uh, actually, you know, one of the first things you have to try to do, I think, as a legislator is I don't want to pass legislation if I don't have to. And if we can get people on board and they say, yeah, we'll change, then they will. So the instance you're talking about particularly was one higher ed. And higher ed was spending taxpayer dollars to fund their, they don't call them a lobbyist, they call them something different. But uh, they essentially is are the liaison, I think is what they call That's them. Right. That's right. So I right. got with higher ed and said, guys, you can explain this uh, in committee or you can change what you do. Right. And they all got together and changed the way they fund their their uh, lobbyists or their, their folks. And it really went quite well. Uh, we had a bill on that that didn't pass, but they were willing and they knew it would come up again. And they knew with a conservative or Republican legislature, they'd probably end up having to make that change anyway. So we worked together to do that. Now, we weren't as successful with uh, regular education, K-12 education. Right. Their superintendents and teachers uh, use uh, money to join various organizations, taxpayer dollars, uh, whether it's national organizations or state organizations. They use taxpayer money that funnels down there. Uh, they were the superintendent's administration. Our superintendent association was not quite as willing to change uh, voluntarily. So I'm still talking with them, and hopefully before next session, they'll make some of those changes. They have other sources of revenue that are not taxpayer dollars. Right. Even though it may be small, it's important. It's a principle we're going to oh, stand by. Oh, it's very important. You know what? Uh, $10 here and $10 there becomes yeah. $1,000. And $1,000 here and $1,000 uh, there becomes a $1 million. And $1 million here and $1 million there becomes a lot of money. Yeah, and you know, the same thing true with uh, what we were just talking about with all these grants that we're doing. There may not be a lot of dollars in one grant, but the administrative cost, you've probably been a part of grants sure. 10 to 15 to 20 percent administrative cost that's right of every grant that's right and although it's a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or a hundred thousand that it at the state level it's millions that's right and so if we could turn that money back locally we could save the taxpayer money uh had the money better spent uh and more local accountability for the people in those local communities that's exactly right it's i just these elected officials that constantly look to raise taxes uh, have lost touch with the people. And, you know, John was asked that in the town hall the other day. Does he have any ideas on how to reduce taxes? Yeah. If he's a conservative legislator. Right. He, he, uh, I don't have the exact quote, but right. somehow he said, well, I haven't come up with that yet. <laughs> I don't know yet. I know. Right. I know we're going to, you know, we, we take a, a 3% cut. The, the city send their tax dollar, sales tax dollar into the DFNA right. at state level, they take a 3% cut of that uh, as an administrative fee. Well, initially, that was probably a good thing because they had uh, those costs when that law passed, I think, back in the 70s. It was all by hand. It's all electronic. Right. There's not right. a 3% cost right. anymore. But they always find a way to spend that 3% at yeah. the state level. Yeah, and you know, my proposal is let's move it to 2% immediately. That's right. And let the city keep the money. That's right. You know, our cities don't have reserves in most cases. That's right. They don't have those in, that money available to incentivize things. So if we reduce that, let our cities keep the money. And you know what? If And right now we get that money. If we have to borrow money from the state at 3%. Jeez. Well, you know, if we let the cities keep it and the state needs it, we'll be glad to help them. We'll discharge the state 3%. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but it's our money. That's right. So we're paying 3% to borrow our money from the state that's collected our money. Yeah, I had a little town in north, northeast Arkansas called Caraway. 
great little town that's been diminishing, going smaller and smaller. They had trouble with their well. $200,000. They had nothing in reserve. They had to borrow that money from the state at 3%. So think about this. Over the course of 20 or 30 years, we've been taking money from Caraway. Uh, very, they don't have any highways. Right. They're very little maintenance. They get very little back from the state. So we're taking their money, and when they have a need, rather than them spending having a reserve built up, they have to come to the state and borrow money at 3%. That's their own money. That's they remarkable. could have been keeping, if we'd have had let more money stay local, they could have been putting that money in the bank and exactly. making 5 or 6 or 7%. Exactly. So there's a cost to those communities. There's a 10 or 12% that they're losing. And I think that is, you know, we talk about our Delta communities particularly mm-hmm. who are drying up and people moving out. That's one of the reasons. We're That's sweeping right. their money. That's right. They don't have resources to build pools, build sidewalks, whatever those amenities are that our smaller communities need to compete. They don't have the money, and mm-hmm. we're putting it in other bigger companies at the expense of our smaller communities. And I just really think that's not a conservative approach. It's not. To use their money and bring it down here and send it back out as we as legislators pick the winners and losers. Well, and it's like... It, it, it's like ticks on the back of a hound. You know, they keep sucking I just and love sucking. your analogies. I can't ever think of them that quick. <laughs> well, I'm a good old southern boy, you know, so I know all that. Your Hannah's accent lo- says it all. Yeah, Hannah's you. eyes have rolled so far back in her head, she can actually see behind herself right now. Um, but... It's you know, but it's it's just sapping on us. It you does. know, it's like those. What is that fish? I forget. There's this fish that sucks on. It's an invasive species, no less, and it sucks onto the bigger fish, and that's what it's like. And and sort of. Yeah, here in Arkansas, we call those suckers. I was about to say, isn't it called a suckerfish? <laughs> there is a suckerfish, but there's this other fish. I think we have it now in Arkansas too. It's got like nasty teeth, and it. Oh, a, a, a lamprey. Do you oh, know the yeah. lamprey? Yeah. Yeah, those things are nasty. Um, so, um, that's I heard one of them got elected to the New York legislature. Uh, I'm, I, the whole legislature is <laughs> a bunch of lampreys, as far as I'm concerned. And if you talk about what's going on with, uh, as we were talking with the municipal league, it's just a giant lamprey sucking on the on the uh, pockets of every taxpaying citizen. And you know there are ways to reduce that here in our state. We can return more of the local money, more of the people's money back locally. We can cut our taxes. We can allow local communities to make those decisions. We're just going to have to have the will of the legislature to stand strong for that. That's why I'm running. Yeah. I'll stand strong. I'll continue to push those issues. And I just don't think uh, Senator Cooper's done that. No. Well, here's the thing, Dan. Legislators need to understand that, A, they work for the people, and B, the bureaucrats work for them. And often I see it turned around where legislators will come in and say, well, the bureaucrats, they don't use the phrase bureaucrats, of course, but, you know, the administrators in this system and the executives in the other one and the, what do you call the, you just mentioned them, the, the guys who are the head of local school districts. The, the uh, superintendent. superintendents say this and the chiefs of this of uh, uh, and the sheriffs of that say this. And so we need, we, we need, no, no, no. No, don't start a sentence by telling me what some bureau hack told you and then tell me what we need. You work for me. 
You do what the people want, and you get those bureau hacks in line. And if those bureau hacks aren't doing what you tell them to do, pass a law. You know, one of the things you can ask, ask your legislator if they passed every bill they ran. If they say yes, that's a pretty sure sign that they are not representing the local people. That's exactly right. People are supposed to tell the government what to do. That's exactly right. And when they come back and say, well, I ran everything I passed, you know, one of the first things you learn when you're down there, you can pass every bill you want if you just do what you're told. That's right. Well, you know... that and that's that, not just by the administration. That's by lobbyists. Absolutely. There are lobbyists and there are other interest groups, and they will come to you running their bill that often is not in the best interest of the people. So you can pass them all. Well, you amen, just got to do what you're told. When, when we were working on the Dave Ellswick free speech bill uh, and other related higher education bills, Shane Broadway was floating all around the, the Capitol. Every time I was testifying, there was Shane Broadway in the background. Remember, nice guy, Democrat, Democrat. Yet all of these Republicans are, are, are looking past me to see who's sitting behind me. Is Shane Broadway sitting behind Steinbuck? Is he giving me the uh, Don Corleone nod or not? <laughs> well, listen, Republicans, you better step up to the darn plate and do what you're told to do by the citizens of Arkansas, not unelected bureau hacks who are Democrats, no less. That's what you need to do. Is it time for a break, Zach? For you. Yeah, My ears. I think Say I need that to take a break. break. We're going to go for a break. I'm going to have a cup of coffee because I'm a little tired. You know, I'm a little below the, uh, the sort of energy level that Zach requires of me. Uh, and then we're going to come back and we're going to continue on with Dan. I want to talk to Dan. Of course, I want to continue talking about taxation. I want to talk about guns. Uh, and we got a lot more to talk about. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this Friday afternoon in the studio with me are Hannah Webb Howard, the founder, because I was chided off air for not emphasizing that fact, founder and president of the Bowen Law School Second Amendment Society with one event under her belt already in which we went to the um, Mayflower public shooting range and shot at some paper targets. Uh, Not people. Not people. Not people. We don't shoot people. Uh, And then, of course, uh, also in the studio is Representative Dan Sullivan, who is running now to be state senator uh, from uh, the um, Jonesboro, Craighead Craighead County area. Uh, And, Dan, I wanted to ask you. Uh, when are you going to have a debate with John Cooper? Well, interesting you'd ask that. Well, you know, I, I kind of know the answer, <laughs> but go ahead. Well, I sent John an email over a month ago requesting three dates that our campaigns could get together, and we would schedule them. And in John's town hall the other day, that was one of the questions they asked John. John, are you going to debate Dan Sullivan? And they right. said, we'll see. We'll see. You know, so that's... Well, well, I love the we'll see. I love the passive voice. You know, like, hey, are you going to go out and do this? We'll see. We'll see. You don't have to see. You're the decision maker. Yeah. What are they you, waiting to see about? 
good, what's good, the condition? Well, I don't know. I, that we're waiting. We're waiting to see. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But you know, if you again, that's more of an authoritarian authoritarian that's right. approach. That's right. I'm not going to debate unless it's on my terms, on my ground. But he hasn't even given you your, his terms and his ground. It's it's it's, well, it's he's actually dodging. he has. Oh, tell me, not please. Doing it. Tell me. Well, we're not we're doing not it. doing it. But that's my point. <laughs> he's not giving you terms and yeah. grounds. He just said no. He's, he's afraid. He's afraid, Dan. And if you would think that one that was confident in their positions, whether it's the Second Amendment, right? And you know, he again, he's the guy, the vote that killed the Stand Your Ground. Bill. That's right. And if you're confident in that, then you ought to be willing to and, defend it and reaching out to people, saying, "Let's go in front of the people. I'm anxious to tell you why I did that." If you're confident in your position on the Bible in school, then you ought to be anxious to get out there and talk, not three times, but 103 times. If you're confident that your vote's to, uh, to support every tax bill that came down and still call yourself a conservative, then you're anxious to get out there and debate a little state representative in a little corner of Craighead County. Uh, since you're the senator, you're anxious to tell people why this is not the guy you want representing, representing you in the Arkansas Senate. And it's exactly the reason I'm running. In this House, you're one of 100, and your vote is diluted uh, so that it's very difficult for a House member to run any real impactful legislation. As a senator, you're much more impactful, much greater opportunities to do that, and that's why I'm running. Well, uh, and I appreciate that, and, and as I've said throughout this show and before, that's why I strongly support your candidacy. But I think there's actually more to it, and uh, you're a polite man, uh, Dan, um, and you're uh, born and bred in Arkansas, uh, and I'm neither. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a, neither polite. I'm a Missouri guy. I'm Missouri. Well, okay. But I'm yeah, a transplant. Yeah, you're a transplant, but a transplant from the South. Yes. Uh, I'm a transplant, and I'm, I love being here. I really do. But I'm a transplant for the North, from the North, and I brought something with me from the North, uh, and that's a little bit of edge. Uh, and I'm not polite. And so let me say what I hear you saying, but from my voice, not from your voice. Uh, Dan, uh, um, uh, John Cooper's a liar, right? So John Cooper ran saying that he was going to vote against Obamacare. What did he do? He voted yeah. for yeah. Obamacare. Multiple times. Multiple times. Uh, John Cooper ran saying that he was going to cut taxes. What did he do? He raised taxes. John Cooper uh, ran saying he was pro-Second Amendment. What did he do? He voted. He was the vote. He was the vote against Stand Your Ground. So John Cooper is a Democrat dressed up like a Republican. And you know what the difference between John Cooper and Joyce Elliott is? I respect Joyce Elliott. Why do I respect Joyce Elliott? Uh, I respect Joyce Elliott because she comes forward. She says, I'm a liberal. Here's my liberal positions. All right. I don't agree with them. But she tells you where she stands. She's not a liar. And John Cooper dresses up like a sheep but really is a wolf. And you know, the campaign tactic to pull that off is to make it seem like it's an either-or choice. Like if you are opposed to Medicaid expansion, then you're opposed to the entire DHS budget. Right. And it's also to say there are no other choices. You know, one of the things that we try to do, uh, many of us try to do, is if we vote no on a bill, especially if it's one of our colleague, our Republican colleagues, we go to them and say, you know, I don't, I voted no on your bill, but here's how you can change it. 
and I'll vote for it. We did that with the with the uh, free speech bill. That's right. You know, we went to people and said, what does it take for you to get on board? That's right. And that's not been John's uh, approach to legislation that I know of, particularly on the Stand Your Ground bill. That's right. He was opposed to it, and he didn't – I'm fairly confident that he didn't go to Bob Ballinger, who ran the bill, and say, Bob – and yeah, I'll what, vote for right. it if you make these changes. That's right. Uh, but so, how do you campaign when you're like John? You campaign and say, "Well, Dan Sullivan doesn't vote for any taxes." Well, I'm okay with taxes, not for tax increases. That's right. We can balance it. We can add some and take take, take away some, some away. That's right. But overall, we're going to reduce taxes. That's right. It's too much. The dollar amount is too much today. Yeah. So when Dan Sullivan says, I'm not going to increase taxes, that's not an out-on-a-limb position. No, and, and you know, when we talk about health care, that, you know, I, John is, is, you know, he'll be saying, well, Dan opposes health care in the state of Arkansas. Well, that's just, uh, that, that, that's ridiculous. not even, a, it's a meaningless statement, you know. Well, and, I, and I've been one of the greatest advocates. You've worked in health care. Well, and also for ex, uh, expanding scope of practice. Right. To, to uh, getting rid of, uh, creating competition in the health care field. You know, I've worked hard for all of those. Same thing in the field of education. I think I'm the best friend our teachers have had. Well, you've been an educator. You've I, been a I teacher been and, for years, I, 30 years, right? Pretty close, yeah. yes. And the, uh, you know, to create competition in the education field is a good thing for consumers. Of course it the is. The same thing in the healthcare field. You know, part of what Obamacare did was create monopolies in the hospitals. That's right. They're, they're vertical monopolies. And uh, Senator Westerman, or uh, Congressman Westerman, mm-hmm. now has a bill to kind of help break down those uh, vertical monopolies in hospitals. And there are things that we can do in the state level. Well, you can't do those if you pass the bill in front of you. You can't even look at other bills. Right. So our opposition, same thing with the highway bill. It's not like we hate highways. Right. You don't want to rip up all the highways. No. But you know what? Having a two cents constitutionally, two percent uh, uh, constitutionally mandated tax, uh, it seems overkill to say the least. Well, and you know we could use more general revenue to do that. That's our, right. Our state chooses not to do that when other states do. Now the governor. Uh, did add some general revenue, mm-hmm. but I think uh, Lieutenant Governor Griffin was also of the position that there are other ways to collect those of taxes that we don't right. do. That's right. So you know, John and uh, people like that, they pos- they try to uh, position people like me and say, "Well, you're against highways." Right. Well, I'm not against them. I want our highways, but there's of another course. way to fund them that is cheaper and better off in the long run for our citizens. But we couldn't even hear that bill until the one before us was voted down well it's a variant of what um we hannah and i were talking about uh, i think before you arrived which is they try to position you by saying if you disagree with them you're some sort of ist right right. yeah that's when you came in you're a fool you're a fool right you know well here's the thing um john cooper was able to fool uh, voters in uh, Craighead County by saying one thing and doing another. And uh, if we have our way, uh, the citizens uh, of uh, Craighead County are going to get someone who actually listens to them as opposed to uh, being there for, for a paycheck. Yeah, and, and throughout the state, you know, when, when I think I said it on the show before that when John voted to kill the Stand Your Ground bill, bill that killed it for everybody in the state of Arkansas. Of course. Not just Craighead County. That's right. But everybody in the state can't defend themselves to the fullest extent 
to their God-given right. That's right. Because John voted no on that bill. That's right. And and by the way, this goes back to the point that we were talking about just a little while ago, where I was there when that vote was happening, and I heard uh, a bunch of like local sheriffs or police chiefs or something like that, a bunch of bureaucrats. A bunch of bureaucrats. I'm not talking about beat cops. I'm talking about a bunch of bureaucrats. And one of them literally said, well, here's the problem. What happens if there's a bad guy on the street and a good guy doesn't have a gun? If you allow stand your ground, he gets to go home, get his gun, and come back. Yeah? You mean he gets to go back on the street where he's allowed as a citizen and isn't cowed by the fact that some bad guy is doing something threatening? Really? Yeah, I'm sorry, Mr. Police Commissioner or Police Sheriff or whatever you are. Do your job. Yeah. And, you know, they, they're trying to restrict our freedoms. We're free, and I'm not following right. the law. That's There's right. There's nothing I've done, and they're trying to restrict my freedoms with that. You know, I had one of my friends that's running uh, for my current seat, District 53, mm-hmm. talk. He asked where I was on Stand Your Ground. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, on Red Flag Laws. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm against them. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, tell me more about that. And right. I said, okay, I'm against them. <laughs> Because there's nothing in front of me right now that I would consider supporting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So until there's something out there that I that that you want me to look at, I may sure read it and study it. Sure. Right right now, I'm against red flag based upon what my freedoms are. That's right. I'm free to protect myself, and we are are a open carry state. uh, However you want to uh, describe that. Yeah constitutional carry that's right and we need to we need to beef that up too by the way beef that up yeah absolutely that's right those are the freedoms that again are given to us not by the government but by god that's right and according to john we need to keep the john cooper john cooper we need to keep the uh the church out of this that's right keep god out of it that's right god's right in the middle of it well god's everywhere right that's the point now here's the thing uh we can believe in God, and the next guy uh, is free not to. Uh, he still has those rights. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of this. Where, wherever we found, uh, wherever we situate those rights, and you and I and Hannah, we situate them in, in a divinity. But so be it if you don't. I'm not asking anybody to be anything they're not. If you don't agree that these rights are found in divinity, you find them wherever you want. But you got them. And they're yeah. yours to keep, and don't let some bureaucrat take it away from you. And, and that's true of. Uh, I wish I had the passion. I could speak with the passion. <laughs> you know, you're having more fun than I am. Uh, yeah, that's true of all people. You know, that that's all right. people are created equal. That's right in our constitution. That's exactly right. So it's not people, Christians only. Christians. No. It's not only Jews. It's not only Muslims. It's not only atheists. All people well, have these the, rights. The LGBTQ community. That's right. You know, I was asked about my position there on on those issues. That's and right. My position is that the Constitution is strong enough to protect everyone's right. That's exactly. And right. uh, in, it should. It's about freedom. That's right. And you have the you have the freedom to you know carry if you're a part of the LGBT community. That's you're free to do that. That's right. That's what our Constitution provides for. And I think uh, it stood the test of time. You know, I was talking the other day about our founding principles, founding principles. And, you know, I said, you know, it's not about just about our founding principles. It's our sustaining principles that not only founded our nation, but they sustain our nation. And when we give up on those, we'll no longer be a nation. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a really salient point. Let's continue this. Uh, we have a guest coming in uh, into the studio, uh, another guest, and we'll take a break and come back right after these messages. 
Gosh. This is a Dave Ellswick show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this Friday afternoon. Uh, Representative Dan Sullivan during the break has left us uh, as scheduled. He wasn't running away from us or anything like that, even though Hannah was giving him the stink eye. Uh, In the uh, uh, studio is Hannah Webb Howard. And joining us now also is Chris Corbett. Chris Corbett is a local attorney. He's a local engineer. He's a local businessman. He lives in the Conway area. And if he listens to my urging, which he must, he will be running for state senate uh, for uh, the seat currently held by uh, Senator Rapert when Senator Rapert uh, has already announced he's going to be running for for lieutenant governor. So, uh, Chris, what were you doing this morning? Thanks Where were the, you? Thanks for the intro, Rob. It's always my pleasure. We, were, we got the fortunate, uh, we got to play in the Arkansas State Claims Commission. Today. Oh, really? The yeah. Claims Commission? Now, tell us what the Claims Commission does. The Claims Commission allows you to sue the state for money. I see. Right? And so you were there, and you were asking for money, um, and what was the state saying? The state was saying that, um, well, the judge's order didn't say that we substantially prevailed. Okay, let's back up a little bit. Are they, what, what, we're talking about, of course, uh, this stems from the FOIA request that I made. You are serving as my attorney. I made a FOIA request uh, from the government. Um, the, uh, the government refused that FOIA request. Uh, then uh, you represented me. Uh, well, I had another attorney, too, and, and, and you represented me in a lawsuit to get those records. We came to a settlement in which we got most of those records, right. uh, and the government says most, what? I'd say majority of. Well, that's more what most, than most. That's what most means majority, most so you better mean? come up with a better word. <laughs> you, you mean virtually all. Okay. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Baby. Um, and uh, they say what? What does the government say? Well, they say that um, their claim is that they were... Uh, what, substantially justified? Is oh, that the word? Really? I don't know. They were justified. I'm not going to make their not, arguments yeah, for them. They were what are you making their arguments for them? In, in, in not turning it over, right? Notwithstanding that they turned it over before and now they turned over most of it this time. Exactly. Hmm. Hmm, that's a so, tough one. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. They have, uh, they have precedents in the State Claims Commission. They have um, other orders that they don't want to overturn or you know, mm-hmm. want to abide by. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of orders out there. One was the Schultz order. And it basically says, and this, this is a huge point for other FOIA attorneys out there listening, mm-hmm. that if you file a FOIA lawsuit against the state, this isn't against a city, but a state entity, then you must have an order from that judge saying you substantially prevailed. But, you, but your, the judge in our case said... I'm just going to kick this over to the Claims Commission and wrote in his order explicitly, I want the Claims Commission to make that decision. That's exactly right. So there's a conflict between the state court and the Claims Commission as to who has to make that decision. That's right. Mm. That's exactly right. So Mm -hmm. the state law is you can only get attorney's fees for a FOIA lawsuit if you substantially prevail Mm -hmm. and the other side was not justified in denying the claim. Mm -hmm. So um, if you settled it, and you just dismiss your claim, well, then you, sh- you could lose your chance at attorney's fees. Right. And if it's against the state because of tort immunity, the judge isn't going to issue an order saying the state must pay attorney's fees. Right. So you've got to go to the claims commission. Correct. You seek that relief in the Arkansas State Commission. And that's, and that's what we're up to right now. That's right. You're going to win? We're going to win. All right. One way or another, we're going to win. 
yeah, we're going to push. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like Jimmy Hoffa said. I, right? I'm curious, by the way, did you offer to, to um, settle not only the FOIA lawsuit, but did you offer to settle your uh, claim for attorney's fees? We did. I did offer Honestly. to settle. Yeah, yeah, at a reduced amount. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Offer to settle. You and, always do. It's always, right. You always want to you know, do uh, enter in some kind of settlement right. discussions. And, and what did the government say? But zero. Zero. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, and now how many hours have they spent in litigating this case? They're wasting taxpayers' money. There you go. There you and go. I, we, we've actually um, FOIA'd that exact time. We hadn't gotten it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That's another, maybe another FOIA lawsuit. Right? Maybe. How much time did you spend defending the, the lawsuit? Yeah. Right? yeah. You want to beat me up with my attorney's fees? Right. How much time? And, and they never money? told you that? No. We haven't gotten well, it. Well, you know, it's, it, it's, it's much easier to be a government attorney than it is to be a private attorney. Oh, man. You, you have to keep track of all your time. That's right. And then uh, they're... they're uh, they're Fridays. They get a they get a check that cashes, right? Every week. Yeah. Now, I'm not. Now, let me set back up. There's some pockets of excellence in state government, right? There's some pockets of excellence, but let's let me break it down to you. Mm-hmm. 52 weeks, right? Yeah. All right. Normally they get two weeks you got, off. You got 15 seconds. All right, two weeks off. Yeah. Another day of vacation per month, and another holiday per month. What is that? 24. Think about that money as we go to break. And we'll be back after the bottom of the hour. Every time I'm talking over it. Every time. Every time that I want to say this is a Dave Ellswick show. Zach, what am I doing? What am I doing wrong? You're talking to yourself. I'm talking to myself. Nobody else listens to me. i got to talk to myself. We're here during break, and Hannah's telling me I'm mean to everybody. Damn straight. Damn straight. Watch your mouth. Are you allowed to say that on the radio? Well, find I out. I hope they find you. Oh, the FCC is coming now. Oh, they're coming out. Well, it's Dave's show. Not for much longer. Chris, um, we were just talking with Dan Sullivan. This guy is a great state rep. I really mean that. Uh, and he's going to be an even better state senator when he uh, whoops the ass. Oh, am I allowed to say that? Uh, whoops the behind of uh, John Cooper, who is a uh, Democrat in uh, Republicans' clothing. And as you know, because I may have mentioned it once or twice before, uh, I think it might be a good idea. Uh-oh, mom's texting you, Hannah. What does mom have to say? <laughs> she says, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. What's your mom? Uh, Mrs., uh, Mrs. Webb, right? Yes. Mrs. Webb's I, calling in. I read the text and I said, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Exactly. Um so uh, Dan Sullivan uh, was here, um, and he uh, was talking about simple conservative ideas. Awesome. Now, now here's the thing, because it doesn't have to be complicated. It's like, not. Right. Yeah. And so Dan Sullivan is, he says, oh, well, well, John Cooper's getting on me because John Cooper uh, says that uh, I'm against taxes. And, and Dan Sullivan quite calmly says, I'm not against taxes. I'm against additional taxes. That's not complicated. Uh, Dan Sullivan uh, says he's pro-Second Amendment. Why? Because it's the Second Amendment. <laughs> he didn't write it. That's a couple hundred years old. Right. And this is Arkansas, where people have guns and like guns and use them responsibly. You know, where I grew up, I grew up in New York. I grew up in the suburbs of New York. Now, out where I grew up, there were folks that had hunting rifles, but you'd have, have to drive from where we lived, which is downstate, think of it, right. and literally, through the city, through the city to go upstate. Now, upstate is rural. 
And people hunt all the time. There's lots of good hunting, actually, in upstate New York. People go deer hunting and a lot of other uh, game as well. Um, uh, but it was hard as a state to, to say that we had a culture that was pro-gun because there's a real uh, dichotomy. Of course, the city is highly liberal uh, and has a huge population. The city, New York City, with all its five boroughs, I would suspect, has more population than the rest of the state. Yeah. Uh, and so... But in Arkansas, we've got pockets of liberalism. They're usually called universities, incidentally. Uh, but it's called uh, Pulaski County. Yeah, Pulaski County, exactly. <laughs> and Fayetteville, and which Fayetteville. is Washington County. There you go. Uh, but um, people in Arkansas uh, respect and understand guns, and they don't want to u- abuse them. They just want to use them. They want to use them for self-defense. They want to use them for what Hannah and the Second Amendment Society and I uh, did uh, last weekend, which is go out and shoot paper targets. Uh, and they want to use it for hunting as well. Um, and uh, for the self-defense, uh, John Cooper, who's running against Dan Sullivan, was against Stand Your Ground. Now, let's talk about Stand Your Ground, because I know that you are for Stand Your Ground because you're for common sense. That's right. It's not a complicated equation. Here's what stand, stand Your Ground law says. If some bad guy comes up to you with a gun and threatens your life, you can shoot him. Right. That's it. That's it. So you say, well, what is, I thought that was the law now. Guess what? The law now is bad guy comes up to you with a gun, you got to run away if you can. That's run right. away. No. Which I'm, defeats the purpose, of yeah, course. Well, indeed. I, and I'm not saying that. There aren't circumstances in which you shouldn't run away. By the way, don't be a tough guy. The, you should use whatever formula gets you the most safety. And if running away is, is that formula at that instant, then you do that. Sometimes it's safer to run away. But here's the thing. Stand your ground doesn't say that. Oh, excuse me. The, the, the alternative, the current law doesn't say that. It says you have to run away if there's a reasonable opportunity to do so. Excuse me. I will make the decision as to what the safest move is. And if I'm forced by the law to have to do that analysis in a split second when a bad guy is coming after me with a gun, guess what the risk is? Death. Death. So, in a nutshell, John Cooper wants you dead. That may, be, that may be a stretch. <laughs> did I? Did I? Did, did I go? Zach? Zach? Did They're I go too far with that last one? They're going to have to bleep out this entire segment yeah, this because your a, mouth. Don't worry. And your None assumptions. None of this is going to air. What? It's already airing, Zach. It's it's live on the air. Oh boy. I could couch it better. John Cooper doesn't want you to be able to defend yourself. That's right. That's right. John so Cooper talk about wants you to retreat. Right. 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 That's right. There may not be a chance to retreat. Right. But now, to be fair, they claim, well, if there's no chance, you don't have to retreat. But here's my point. It's not about whether there's a chance or not. It's about whether you have to take the time during that critical split second to evaluate whether there's an opportunity to retreat. Yeah. Why should that onus be put on me when, by definition, in this scenario, there's a bad guy trying to kill me with a gun? Right. And I think it's. I think it also. You, you got to look at it in context, right? So if I if I'm in my bedroom asleep, it's three o'clock in the morning. I, I don't have to retreat, right? Mm-hmm. I, and I've got. I guess I, I could. I don't know stand how stand my now. ground yeah. inside my house. Well, I, I think I, if we were in front of a jury and you're you were defending me or I was defending you, right? And you shot somebody in your house. I, I think you're going to be fine on well, that. But wouldn't you like to have the law backing you up on that? Absolutely. And, but, but more importantly, how often does that happen? 
um, in comparison to something right. happening out on the street. That's right. right. That's right. So then uh, if you're walking down the street or you're walking to your car to gro- in a grocery lot or a grocery parking lot. Um, or Walmart. You, you, I mean, that's sincerely because you're, the Walmart's are open right. often 24 hours, right? Exactly. Big par- parking lots. Nice, big, brightly lit, but there, there's opportunity. And I'm not trying to lay it on Walmart. I mean, any of these big right. stores with big parking lots that are open late. And thank goodness they are. It's a real convenience. Yeah. But. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, and no. and then and think about from a I mean a smart criminal. He's going to pick out somebody he can intimidate. Right. He's going to pick out. He's not going to walk up to a 300 pound right. six. He's going to pick guy. out me. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. And 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 let's let let's take it a little further. He may not pick you out if he had the. If there's an assumption that 100 percent of people are armed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and can stand your ground. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's a when you take about it and you think about it. In that context, um, we want the law to pr- provide protection, and we don't have it here. And in comparison to other states that do have it, it's surprising to me that Arkansas does not have. That a was the point law. I was trying to bring up about the contrast. Me be origin being originally from New York, right. I would expect this outcome in New York, not in Arkansas. Uh, I moved to Arkansas yeah. away well, from New York. I'm, thank I'm you. I'm pretty sure, like a majority of the southern states, I, I don't remember the survey exactly, but Arkansas's. The one that stood out blaring to me that didn't have didn't have standing ground. Yeah. So when you're a state senator, uh, is it fair to say that you will support uh, stand your ground? That's really that's yes. Yeah. That's an easy one. No doubt about it. It's easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's really remarkable that we're having this debate. Uh, It's you know, like I said, if you're up in a liberal state. Okay, I get it. Meaning there are a bunch of liberals who hate guns. And they really do. It's unfortunate. I should say leftists, to be fair. Uh, but there are a bunch of leftists who, who just hate guns. Uh, but down here, the population is overwhelmingly familiar with guns and comfortable with guns. And they right. understand their usefulness. And we have a lot of rural areas. Uh, like I was mentioning in upstate New York, but that's just part of the state, of course. Geographically large, population-wise, small. Arkansas has much more... Um, population-wise in rural areas compared to New York because of the density of New York City. Uh, uh, And yet, we couldn't last time pass Stand Your Ground. Of course, it was all because of one so-called Republican senator, uh, and that's John Cooper. Uh, And so uh, that's going to change when Dan Sullivan gets in uh, to the Senate. But still, it it bespeaks a broader issue where we need not only Republicans, we're roughly 75% Republican in the legislature, but we're not roughly 75% conservative. I'm sorry to say. Sorry to say. And so... Uh, with you in the now, if you were to run uh, at my um, urging, it won't be in this next term in any event. It's for the following, so it's a, right. it's a ways off. Uh, but we need people who have common sense, conservative uh, values. It's it's really not complicated. And when the left uh, always tries to make it more complicated, some things ain't that complicated. I remember I was speaking to a cardiologist once, and he said. The truth is cardiology is not that complicated. It's plumbing. You know, yeah, we have new medicines that come out and uh, affect the plumbing a little bit. But the bottom line is it's plumbing. That's what we do as cardiologists. And I'm not saying there aren't complicated aspects to medicine, including cardiology. But running government shouldn't be so complicated. And when the left makes it complicated, it's because I think they want to cut out the common person from government. No, no, you can't understand. Guess what? 
Here's the thing about Arkansans and citizens across the state. They have a funny way of telling you what they can and cannot understand, and that's at the ballot box. So be careful when you start telling them that they're stupid or deplorable or otherwise not worthy of voting. They won't vote for you. They'll vote for the other guy. That's right. Isn't that right? So um, what what other um, sort of broad principles – do you value in elected officials? I think we should pass more gun laws. What do you mean? In what right? way? Pass more gun laws. To restrict the criminals? Guns? No, the criminals oh. are going to obey the gun laws, right? Oh, uh, you're being facetious. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Exactly. No, exactly. seriously. On the broader, we, we, we want... Um, we, we want more Americans pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Mm-hmm. We want we want them to be unshackled by government regulations, government licenses. And I, I get on my soapbox about the number of taxes you pay. We don't notice the number of taxes you pay. And I like tell, to, us, t- tell the audience about when we went to lunch the other day. Oh man, it was what eleven percent. That was that was just for the meal. What about eleven percent? Yeah. Oh, for for whiskey, it was yeah. what thirty three and a third percent. Mm-hmm. Something outrageous. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so I mean, and I, and I like to use this analogy. Think about when you're when you get up, everything you do, you're taxed. The bed you got out of, you paid taxes on. You step on your floor, you paid your real property taxes, right? You go grab your keys, you paid the used car tax on your car on your car loan, and, your car and we couldn't even pay us the the waiver of the transfer tax on a used car from four grand to seventy five hundred dollars. How did that happen? I, I need to go I, back and find out how that happened. It's amazing to me. We, how can a Republican not allow? This is a tax, by the way, on the poor. You're buying a car for $6,500, a car? Yeah. That is no luxury vehicle. Right. Well, and it's the supermajority that's done this. Let's not forget. Yeah. You're, you know, you're talking about, you know, they want to make it complicated. Right. Well, it shouldn't be complicated right. because we have a supermajority of Republicans. That's right. Yet we have messed it all up. Yeah. They've messed And for years. And it's not just been like this previous term. It's been an ongoing issue Ever since we've taken not only control, but the supermajority. Well, it's a supermajority that ain't super. I'll no. say that right now. <laughs> they don't act like yeah. Republicans. That's and right. and it's interesting to me that there's not more of a public outcry about it. Well, you know, the the, the representative, I, can I say this? Yeah. The representative up in your area, what's it, Spencer Hawks. Yeah. He, he ranked something like 70, 70 on conduits list because he voted for every tax hike. No. I'm sorry. Right. Sorry. Nega. See, what's, what's inter- do the people not know? Uh, seriously, I, what's the issue? Why, it, what is the missing link between their voting records and the people? I think we need somebody that brings it out and shows it to them real simply. And I like the analogy of getting out of bed. I, think, I haven't even made it out of bed yet, right? I'm paying taxes. I grab my keys. I grab my toothbrush. I'm paying taxes on the toothbrush, right? I, I turn the water on. I'm paying taxes on the water. I mean, you can't make it out the door. Without, without all of your activities requiring that you pay the tax. And it's outrageous. But but people that are not paying attention, right? And everything you're doing is tax, 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 right? Oh, and before you can get there, you, you have to have a license to go do your job. So here's the thing with people not paying attention. So I was in a group the other night. It, it was a casual conversation, but, you know, we were discussing politics. And the mm-hmm. question was, you know, Here's all these legislators that have terrible voting records and terrible scorecards. You know, X, Y, and Z organization is going to put us a scorecard. Yeah, Conduit has a great scorecard. Well, and so, and so, so here's the conversation. And it, these are all conservatives. 
How do you educate the public on this? Well, publish scorecard. Publish these scorecard. Publish the results. They're out there. for the. They're already published. They're already out there. And the public still is not educated. How do you fix that divide? Seriously. Let's, let's talk about that. And, and part of it is by uh, doing things like we're doing right now, talking about it. But let's, let's talk about that more. Let's take a break, Zach. And after the break, we'll continue this conversation. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck. Filling in for Dave on this Friday afternoon in the studio is Hannah Webb Howard uh, with a whiskey sour. What? That, and wait, what? <laughs> and um, and we you have, have to know the background. No, uh, you don't get to talk anymore. Uh, you have to ahead. know the background on that. Go ahead. So, both of my parents, you know, don't drink. Right? They don't drink. So when he makes the point about the outrageous sales tax. On the alcohol, my so mother sends me a text bad. and says, another great reason not to drink. So we had that conversation off air. I must clarify the ha- context so the, that I don't get more text messages. Put the whiskey bottle under the table. That's all I'm saying. Just yes, with my... Ma- s- ma- put the whiskey in the coffee. So See, look, people, now I can't speak straight. Uh, so really it's all the alcohol. It's all the drinking. Hannah, put the alcohol down. I am sufficiently flustered. One day at a time, Hannah. That's all I say. One day at a time. Um, Chris, uh, here's my idea. Uh, I think that we were talking about, uh, Hannah asked a salient question before she took another swig um, about whether or not. Uh, You're oh, going what? to cause my mother a heart attack. Oh, boy. She's going to check you out on Facebook. Is she like a marathon runner or something like that? Still, this will yeah. cause a heart attack. <laughs> this will do it. She's probably got, you know, like 40 beats per minute on that heart because she's running marathons. Uh, here's my question, uh, uh, or here's my statement in response to your question, Hannah. How do we educate the people? Uh, part of it is what we're doing here uh, uh, in having this conversation. We have, Dave has fantastic listeners. He really does. And they want our input, and it's just input, right? They are, are, are smart people who make their own decisions, but they seek information. And one of the things that we do on Dave's show is share salient information about politicians. And one thing that uh, we are cognizant of uh, is cogn- conduit for actions scorecard of elected officials. And there's 100 uh, legislators in the House and 35 in the Senate. Uh, and if you were towards the bottom of that list, like, for example, I was just mentioning, I don't mean to harp only on him, but Spencer Hawks is a Republican and he's well below several Democrats on that list when it comes to taxation. Uh, well, guess what? Ain't good enough. And so uh, uh, I, I will speak out against Republican or Democrat when it comes to their voting to increase taxes uh, or like John Cooper, another Republican voting to take away gun rights uh, and uh you know, I mentioned earlier in the air, I like Joyce Elliott as a person. She's a very pleasant individual. I'd never vote for her because she's overwhelmingly leftist. The difference between her and the conservatives, excuse me, excuse me, the Republicans that I mentioned a, a moment ago is that those Republicans uh, are, are misleading in their positions. Joyce is not. So, but here's the thing. What do you do about the average citizen who does not seek out the information? What do you do about the people who goes to the ba- who go to the ballot box but they do not know the information because they don't seek it out? What do you? Well, how do you educate them? Well, like I say, I hope that some of them are listening to to shows like this, and there are other shows on the on on radio that share this kind of information. The other thing is that you hope that in the primaries, like in. Um, uh, the primary that Dan Sullivan is running in, that you have people like Dan Sullivan running in that primary against 
the other Republican who is not a conservative, be him an incumbent or otherwise, so that we have uh, people who are active in um, politics seeking to displace those Republicans in name only as well. But eventually, look, uh, it's an imperfect system, and it was... um, Oh, the Prime Minister of England during World War II, obviously very famous, whose name slips my mind like most names do, uh, who said democracy is the best form of, is the worst form of government, excuse me, next to all the others. So it will always be imperfect, but at least we can move towards a more perfect conservative union by continuing to endorse conservative candidates, not only Republican, but conservative candidates. And that's why we had people like Dan Sullivan on the show, because Dan Sullivan is running in a Republican primary. And now everybody that listens to Dave or watches him on the Facebook, as I like to call it, the Instapost, uh, can know that uh, in, in that election, you have a choice. You have a choice between a conservative and a leftist. And uh, vote conservative is my recommendation. Well, seeing here's the issue. If you're a voter in Jonesboro, and let's just say you don't keep up with Arkansas politics because Arkansas politics are not sexy. You don't turn on Fox News. Are you saying I ain't sexy? That's oh, my absolutely gosh. what I'm saying. Oh, boy. No, so seriously, here's the thing. You turn on your TV in the morning to Fox News. Arkansas is not making headlines, and especially not a place like Jonesboro, Arkansas. They're not making you know, newsworthy headlines nationally. And that's where a lot of people get their news. Seriously. And so when you go to the ballot box, let's say you have no background knowledge, you just see two R's. You know, what do you do? And if, right. and it takes a very, very diligent voter and somebody who genuinely keeps up with it and knows all the ins and outs and knows the history of the situation to make a good informed decision about that. So what I'm saying is, what do you do about that person who literally doesn't care? And, and maybe not that they don't maybe we care. Need to make it, we maybe, need to make it sexy. I, Exactly. Like the Dillard's ass. So here's right? the, here's the thing. Are we selling lingerie? We need to sell lingerie in politics. <laughs> oh my gosh. Come this, on. this whole segment. I think, I think Mother Webb is block... going to be sending us another text. <laughs> we need it's, to it's, block it's, out it's, this it's whole it. hour. It's coming already. <laughs> make you're going to make me cringe. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. But seriously, keep it on that point. How do like to to market to market ourselves? Because yeah. here's the thing: Republicans are terrible at marketing ourselves. Yeah. How do you market it in a way that people care? And how do you market you know, it you know, as Arkansans? How do you make people that. care you, about you us? You make it less expensive in taxes to go out to dinner. Let's get rid of the hamburger tax. The hamburger. Come on, the man. The hamburger tax is uh, is such a scam because here's what the hamburger tax is. The A&P? Yeah, you know that when you uh, go to a restaurant, you pay 11% in sales tax, but three, I think 3% is the so-called hamburger yeah. tax where money goes to a essentially private organization uh, that advertises. Well, guess what? If I run a restaurant... I get to decide whether or not I want to advertise. You know, I go right. to, amongst other places, David's Burgers and Tzatziki's. They often don't need to advertise. You know why? Because they're so great. But they got to pay that tax. 11%. they, they got to pay that yeah. tax. Why? Because some bureau hack is getting rich off of that 3% that skimmed off of your dinner every time you eat out. That's the problem, is that these people are forcing you to fund a bunch of bureau hacks. And I'm you know, tired of funding bureau hacks. But there's a good analogy there. For every tenth time I go out to dinner. Yeah, you get a free meal. You, you gave up a free meal. I gave, uh, I'm giving a free meal to the government. That's right. Or to the A&P Commission. That's right. Advertising Promotion Commission. That's right? exactly right. Is that a good analogy? That's an excellent analogy. 11% yeah. tax? That's right. So. That's exactly right. 
Kim has weighed in and has asked me to rein you both back in. Oh, who's nice. Kim? Your mom? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we will well, do that. Ms. We're trying Ms. to make Webb. it sexy. I'll tell you what's yeah. sexy yeah. is not paying a hamburger yeah, tax. That's right. No, no to hamburger tax. And I, that's sexy politics. With that thought, we're going to take a break and go get a burger, and we will be back after these messages. Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Starbuck filling in for Dave Ellswick on this Friday. Now near evening. It is shortly after 5 p.m. And so we have an hour left uh, to the Dave Ellswick Show before you all get to enjoy your weekend. And for those driving home, uh, we hope to keep uh, some interesting conversation going. We were talking before the break about Conduit for Action's uh, scorecard regarding the state legislators. Hannah, what, uh, we, we pulled it up during the break, and Hannah's made some useful discoveries on that scorecard because we want Dave's listeners to know exactly uh, what's going on in the legislature. Yes, we have a lot of Republicans, not so much with the conservatives. Uh, so what do we know, Hannah? So we have Conduit scorecard pulled up, which, of course, they score certain... Uh, they call it their economic freedom filter is the way they label it. Um, and so, of course, we've been talking about the Dan Sullivan, John Cooper race. So Dan Sullivan ranked number one out of the entire House of Representatives per their list. And then John Cooper has five Democrats that ranked better than him on the Senate scorecard. You really? There's only 35 senators to begin with. And he's number 28. And he's number 28. You know what I call that? A Democrat. And Outrageous. Dan, and Dan Outrageous. is one out of 100. One, out, one of 100. out of 100. So just, so, do, just do the math, people. Just do the math. Right. If you live in Craighead County and you want to vote for a Democrat, then you can vote for John Cooper. But if you want to vote for a conservative... Vote for Dan Sullivan. It's very simple. Hey, it's all right to be a Democrat. Why? Not because I agree with the politics. You're allowed to be wrong. But if, so if you want to be a Democrat, you can vote for John Cooper. So here's something else yeah. interesting. Um, there are three other Republicans that score even lower than John Cooper. Um, Let's hear him. Dave Wallace. Don't know. Who is District 22. Where's that? Don't know. All right. Jim Hendren, who is District 2. Isn't he the... the um the like brother-in-law or something he's the governor's nephew nephew yeah and then matt pish pitch pish pitch i'm not really sure how to say his last name Hmm. um district eight don't know him either do you know where that is no no it's basically their their voting records not good the voting records are bad and so what's interesting is their numbers 28 so it's like 28 28 because i assuming john cooper and dave wallace have the same score right and then 30s Jim Hendren and 31 is Matt Hitch, Hitch, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then and then a bunch followed of Followed by Democrats. Right. right. Not good for lower taxes. No. Not good for fiscal responsibility. Yeah. I, lo- I love this scorecard. I've just it, yeah. been introduced to it. I, I didn't yeah. I got a random email on this conduit for action. I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm, Ooh, look mm-hmm. at it. Check it out. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is. Uh it's difficult to find all this information. 
because we're surrounded by so much noise. Uh, this is, I think, frankly, John Cooper's campaign tactic is to avoid debating Dan Sullivan and just hope that people get lost in the noise. Uh, but we'll do our very best to uh, avoid that from happening because we don't want to see. You know, Dave says, he said, you know, guess what? I'll let you know a little secret. Of course, Dan knows it. Dave supported John Cooper last time around because John Cooper made a bunch of conservative claims. Everyone did. Yeah. So that's the thing. Right. Even Conduit threw their support behind John Cooper because he said, well, he said all the right things. He mm-hmm. did all the right things. Seriously. Right. Right. And then he did a complete 180. Yeah. And so everyone was justified in supporting him. Right. Assuming that he was going to do what he said. That's right. He did a 180. And you know, what's, what's so terrible about that, and we've talked about this before, is Look, if you if you voted for Joyce Elliott, I've I said it today and I say it all the time. She's a very nice woman uh, and she's very liberal. If you voted for Joyce Elliott and expected conservative outcomes, well, that's on you. Uh, but if you voted for John Cooper and expected uh, conservative outcomes, that's on him. I agree. See the difference? Yep. Um, so nothing wrong with voting uh, for a liberal if you want to support a liberal the problem is when you vote for someone claiming to be a conservative and he turns out to be a conservative or he turns out to be a liberal in conservative clothing and that's what happened and that's why there's no doubt there's no doubt that dan sullivan is the right candidate uh for um the uh senate position uh up there in craighead county which uh includes uh, what's that little town paragold that, that does not include <laughs> oh my paragold screen county oh my goodness and we are not it? represented by oh, john that's a cooper shame. that's a shame it is a shame yeah. it is a shame because i would love to be able to maybe maybe mom webb there. can can run for state senate what do you think yeah, that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I mean, it'd be great. Yeah, sure. Let's. What is let's, she's a school teacher. She's a school teacher. Mm-hmm. Well, we, Dan Sullivan was a school teacher. You're right. And my was administrator. A that's right. Mm-hmm. So we need. Well, I, maybe I'm, we should bump I'm more her up impressed to, with the school teacher we'll, part. We'll bump her up to. I, am. I didn't know Dan was a school teacher. Yeah, fantastic. For years, thirty yeah. years. Teach. Yeah, he was a school teacher school. for thirty. Yeah, years. almost. Yeah, great school. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So um, he's molding our youth. He's molding. That's right. So here's another thing, and I I will make this point about Dan every time I have the opportunity. He's a genuinely good guy. He doesn't just act like he is. He really is. People don't see him behind the scenes. I mean, of course you're not going to, but behind the scenes, he really is that good of a guy. So for instance, you know, he was on campus with the young Republicans at the law school with us the other day. Of course, he came and gave his little spill during the meeting. Afterwards, he that's, just... That's, by the way, that's paragol version of spiel, which is a Yiddish word, but okay, go ahead. Anyways, <laughs> beside the point, he he just sat around and just chatted with us. Listen, yeah. what are y'all's issues? How do you feel about this? You know, what would y'all's solution to this be? You know, how do y'all get your news? You know, well, I worked very closely with Dan Sullivan, Bob Ballinger, Kim Hammer, uh, Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick free speech bill. Uh, on cam- Dave Ellswick on campus free speech bill or something like that. It's a name we made up, but just to to keep the label incorrect. And when Dan and I sat down, Dan said, uh, "I support universities. I've got a university in my district, uh, and I. But most importantly, I can I support conservative values. And Rob, I want your help." Uh, because uh, I'm uh, concerned that the universities in negotiating uh, this bill, because they were involved Mm -hmm. in talking about it, um, uh, are going to try to uh, present uh, aspects of the bill 
as conservative, uh, and they're not, and I just want you to be my backstop. He said, I think I have a pretty good eye on these things, but I want you to be my backstop. Uh, and it turns out he had a great eye, by the way, but put, putting that aside, he, he also doesn't have an ego. And he said, look, Rob, uh, I hope I can catch all the, the tricks of the trade when the university c- tries to slip something in. But he said, I, I, this is not about ego. This is not about ownership. This is not about credit. This is about passing a conservative bill to allow conservatives on campus some elbow room. By the way, that bill is a modest bill, meaning we got a lot more to do. Dan knows it. Bob Ballinger knows it. Kim Hammer knows it. Uh, various other legislators know it. But they all said, well, let's start. Let's start by, you know, we'll just we'll let out the shirt sleeves a little bit. And we'll, right. uh, we'll, we'll uh, make sure that conservatives have a little bit more freedom on these overwhelmingly leftist campuses. And Dan said, I, I don't care about the credit. I don't care when my name's listed on the bill. I don't care um, uh, who's in the room when we're negotiating it. Yeah. Uh, I don't care if I get to make the point or you get to make the point or Bob or anybody else makes the point. But you make sure if i miss something you let me know you let everyone know and by the way you don't have to tell me in private there's no there's no pride here he he, right. he firmly believes in in the sin of pride uh and he said i this is i'm not i'm not a a, a, a proudful person and, and this kind of it kind of stemmed out of the turning point also right? it did it directly it so here's directly so the i was turn, yeah. college republican chair when all that happened oh really yes nice. and so it was one of my good friends who that happened to and so here's here's a perfect example of dan sullivan as a legislator mm-hmm. Behind the scenes, no one would ever know this. I mean, he did not miss a beat. He was on. So the girl's name is Ashlyn. He was on. What what, what exactly happened to her? So we'll get to that. So let me let me make the point about Dan, and then I'll get to that. Okay. So. What so Dan didn't miss a beat. I mean, he was on the phone with her, helping her navigate. You know, she's got lawyers. She's got this, that, and the other. You know, contacting her. Dan was there to be like. Okay, Let, let's help you. In her best interest, not in his, but no one ever knew he mm-hmm. made that phone call. No one ever knew that he was involved with helping her in that situation. He genuinely cared about her navigating this situation. Right. So essentially what happened. So, you know, the, we were there were the caller Republicans on campus, and then Ashlyn was one of those, and she was interested in starting a Turning Point USA organization okay. on campus. Okay, which is a conservative Correct. You know, they're Students big, for action. Big government sucks right. is what they stand for. <laughs> nice. Well, that's their slogan. Okay. And so. Uh, can we check if Mama Webb has uh, texted? So that? her exact response, <laughs> she has texted three times. No, but I want to see on the most, uh, the T, uh, TSUPA, uh, uh, here, if she's commenting on that. Uh, no, no, no. Okay. To the Senate run, she said the Senate would not like my tough love. Oh. LOL. Bring it on. But I could do it, she says. Get it on, Mama Webb. Anyways, so, so Ashlyn wants to bring Turning Point USA, and of course, you know, there's several several college Republicans who's yeah. like, oh yeah, you know, we'll come. She's to like it. a sign up table or something, right? So it's exactly what happens. So she goes and she does. She checks all the boxes. You yeah. know what? I want to start this organization. They're going to be on campus. I would like a table to promote it. Nice. Okay, so she gets this table. I, I want to say it was in front of the union. So I don't know if you've ever been to Arkansas State University, but if you have, I think the table was in front of the union. It was her, yeah. a couple other people working it. And they had a sign out front that Next said, like the big, tables with the free credit cards, right? All those. That's right. Free shirt, credit card. Right. T-shirt. And, and get a free T-shirt with a deal. Yeah. That's right. Sign up for a tra- t- uh, free T-shirt and pay 22.5% interest. <clears throat> so there was a, essentially giant signs that said, big government sucks. Oh. I so was that was the that. issue. And here's okay. the issue. That was not the designated space for that kind of table. 
That was not the proper type of speech to be happening in that area. So she had she had the permission to be there. She had the permission to be there as a student organization, Uh but she didn't have the rights to do that kind of speech. Was she arrested? They make her leave. So the um, student police or the campus police had to escort them off campus. A government agent shut them down. Yeah. So that's exactly right. That's, That's exactly what happened. And so let me tell you, Turning Point did not miss a beat. They found suit immediately. Yeah. I mean, they they were not having it, and violation of what constitution? Was, so, the First Amendment. Oh, what? Number yeah. one. Number, number one. one. Where is number it? Number one. So and so, you'll know more than I do what their former bill was. It basically just said, "Here's our designated free speech spots, and you have to give it our approval to say what you want to say in those free speech spots." Oh man! And yeah, that was their former policy, exactly. right? And so, you know, it. Wait, it, wait, it, wait, 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 let me slow down there. A designated free speech location? Exactly. I thought that's the United States of America. Amen, brother. On, on that note, hold that thought. Zach, let's take a break. We'll be back after these messages. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm Robert Stomach filling in for Dave Ellswick. Uh, apparently, we have persuaded Mama Webb to run for state senate, and we're going to have her on next week. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, but if she does come on, we'll have a whiskey sour ready for her. What? Huh? Huh? <laughs> What is it? No comment. No comment. No Are we comment. Tax? I give 30, up. Thirty-three and a half percent 33, tax. Yeah, thirty-three and a half percent tax. But you know what? If I can come up with a statement that that shuts up Hannah Webb Howard, boy, I've achieved something, haven't I? <laughs> what? Who said what? I've given up. I'm not Here. responding. Oh my goodness, Mama Webb, we we need you to come in and help out, Hannah. Every fourth shot you buy goes to the A&P commission. Though, I know right? it. That's right. You buy three 30? shots, yeah. and, and the fourth shot is a free one for the A&P you commission. S- you send that to the A&P commission. Yeah. Syntax. Syntax. Right? Exactly. Your Liquor pay. tax. Yeah. I was stunned. I didn't believe the guy. I know it. I know it. 33.5%. I know it. It's really remarkable. Hannah, um, in all seriousness, you, you, what, if anything else, did you want to say about that ranking from a conduit? Or the, oh, yeah. You know, we were talking about the folks on that conduit. I mentioned um, a moment ago that um, uh, Spencer Hawks is, uh, is 70 uh, on the list for um, um, the House. How do you get 70 and be a Republican? Yeah. So, here, so here's one of these classic examples. I mean, here's a scorecard. Here's the proof. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't dispute this. Right. So I don't understand why there's not more of an uproar amongst just the general population of Arkansas. Seriously. Right. And so how do you see genuine questions? How do you fix that? What's the strategy? How do you get it out to more people? How do you make people know these facts? Let me tell you, um, we're going to do it uh, by publicizing uh, about these individuals. And then when the session is in next term and Dan's in the Senate along with Bob Ballinger and Kim Hammer and there's several others. Um, uh, we'll, we'll work with Jason Rapert. Um, uh, the, you know, the, unfortunately, I forget more names than I remember. Uh, we're going to pass a bunch of more conservative bills. Remember, not only did we pass um, fr- uh, free speech on campus, the Dave Ellswick bill. Right. Uh, we passed the bill that allows uh, law enforcement to uh, carry uh, in uniform uh, off duty uh, on public property uh, because guess what? Um, there were uh, those uh, on, you know, guess where? Colleges, universities. Right. Saying, no, no, can't have a cop on campus with a gun. Wait, what? Wait, what? It's ridiculous. Now, you hire security. You carry guns. Right. They hire security, but we can't have free security from, from right. law enforcement. So we passed that bill. Um, uh, the, one of the things that we as conservatives need to do 
is not only pass bills uh, regarding conservative ideals on issues that are new, but we need to reinforce existing laws. So you might say, well, but the law already allowed a cop to carry off-duty in uniform. And of course it did. But guess what? The university said, no, we don't read the law that way. So there's one of two solutions. You got to go out, hire an attorney, spend a lot of money as a private individual, as a, as a cop, to litigate that case. And who and who's on the other side? Government. Who's paying for that? And they're hard cases, right? Yeah. And they're who's paying on the cases. other side? The government's attorneys paid for by the cop and everybody else. Meaning taxpayers pay for the government's attorneys. The cop is a taxpayer. He's paying for both attorneys. He's paying for the attorney against him. He's paying the attorney for him. Or, or what can we do? What we did. We took a law and we said, you think it's not clear? We're going to make it clear. Here's another law. It says the same thing. So in other words, it's not Republicans passing more laws. It's now taking laws that have attempted to be gutted by leftists and making sure that they can't be. Reinforcing them. Putting a scaffold around those laws as structural support for those laws. No, but so we passed the Dave Ellswick free speech bill, and today uh, Dan Sullivan was telling us uh, during the break that they were working on the reports that the universities have to provide to the legislature. Guess what? Some of them fell short. Really? Really? Of course they did, because the leftists look for opportunities to uh, get around the law. It's like water. Chris is an engineer. You know water. It finds the easiest path. That's it finds right. a path of least resistance. And guess right. what? So do leftists. And the so, leftists who call themselves neutral. That's right. Oh, they're all neutral. They're, they're all, all neutral. neutral. By the way. It's not the, their fault yeah. if we go to their institutions and learn the truth. That's right. The professoriate in, in, uh, in uh, colleges and universities across the country, overwhelmingly leftist, like 98%, 99% leftist, just by coincidence. Just by coincidence, because, of course, the country's not nearly that. The country's probably more conservative than it is uh, um, progressive, but nonetheless overwhelmingly leftist. Why? Just coincidence, according to them. So, yeah, they're neutral. Not, right? Um, and so uh, what we have to do is we, we take the uh, Dave Ellswick free speech bill and we look where that needs scaffolding, right. where that needs further support. Not because the law itself has a weakness, but because, as we have already seen, there's <clears throat> excuse me pushback uh, by the leftists. There's pushback by the folks who don't want to enforce the law already passed by good conservatives. So well, we'll add to it. That's yeah. what we will do. I'll and I will be there in the legislature uh, uh, providing whatever support those legislators want so that the paid uh, government-funded leftist lobbyists from groups like the Municipal League hmm. or our friend Shane Broadway, who is a Democrat, Democrat, folks, hey, Republicans, he's a Democrat. Uh, when he's pushing for the institutional desires of leftist organizations, I'll be there to say that's not right. But I am just one voice, and I couldn't do it alone, and I didn't do it alone, of course. I'm just in the background. It's the legislators on the front line. They got it done on this bill last term, and when we build it up again, they'll get it done further, and we will continue. And Bob Ballinger made this point last term. He said, look, I know already this bill is not perfect, and I know already there are going to be holes in it, but I don't know where they are yet. So let's give it some time, and we'll fill them in next time. And by the way, there'll be further holes, and we'll fill them in. It's like whack-a-mole with the leftists. <laughs> but we will continue to play that game so that this state 
continues to move in the right direction, pun intended. And we will be the strongest, most conservative state in the union if we follow along this path. Sounds great. But it's too easy to let that go. So when Dave's listeners tune in, you remember, vote for the folks that we're telling you about. Vote for the conservative Republicans, not just the Republicans. Because the label R is good, but it ain't great. So with that thought, we're going to take a break. Now, this is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave. We are in uh, the last half hour of the Dave Ellswick Show this uh, Friday uh, afternoon, evening. Uh, it is an um, honor to fill in for Dave. Unfortunately, Dave is still out sick. He is recovering well, but please keep him in your thoughts. We are talking about what Arkansans need to know when it comes to to the upcoming election and who's a real conservative and who's not. So let me start off by saying we had some real conservatives on the show last time the two of you were here, right? We had uh, Mark Lowry. He's up for re-election. He's a good, strong conservative. I support him. Uh, We had Mark Johnson. And let me tell you what I really appreciated about Mark Johnson. Uh, He came on the show and we we didn't agree on everything when we were working uh, together in the legislature. And he said on the show, he said, Rob, you know, you opened up my eyes to some of these issues regarding academics, uh, conservative academics on campus and the need for them to be protected by academic freedom and tenure. And it's a knee jerk reaction of conservatives to say, well, tenure is a bad thing because it protects liberals. No, it don't. Tenure doesn't protect liberals. You know what protects liberals? Other liberals. Tenure protects those few conservatives that are left on campus, and we had a very good conversation about that, and Mark is uh, far more sympathetic now that we've talked about it, and that's what I like, somebody who, who is open to discussion and debate. I am too. I've changed my mind in the past. I once thought I was wrong, and then I was corrected, and I... No, anyway. <laughs> Hannah's rolling her eyes again. So that's another a good conservative. David Ray. Yeah, David, David Ray. Ray. Now, I, I gather that David Ray's district is over by Mayflower because when we went with the Bowen Second Amendment Society, I saw a bunch of uh, David Ray lawn signs, and uh, so I, I gather he's up there, and good, good for him. Yeah, uh, we'll have to bring. You know, we'll have to invite David out. We if, should uh, right to the next Second Amendment uh, um, Society uh, Bowen Second Amendment Society. A target shoot at the Mayflower gun range because it, he would be a welcome um, addition to the to the club. I think uh, so. That's another example. Um, of course, um, uh, Ben Gilmore. Ben Gilmore is running for state senate down in uh, South Arkansas. I uh, forget the the name of the um, county offhand. Uh, but, I think it's several counties. I think he said. Oh, is that right? I think oh, he, that's right. I think he said it's yeah. the largest geographical that's district right. in the state, just because it's so rural down that's there. That's right. That's right. Um, I know it includes the town of Warren simply right. because I went to their Lincoln Day dinner down there. There you go. And he was there, and that right. was his oh, district. Nice. That's right. Nice. So for reference points, the that's Warren right. area, Cross right. it, it's also in there. Cross it. I remember Cross it. I think that's where he's from. Cross I think it. he is from Cross it. That's exactly right. Uh, and we had a very nice conversation with him on the air uh, last time uh, I was guest hosting as well. Uh, he seems not only uh, very reasoned, but he seems like someone who's deliberative. And that's what you want. And with good, strong, conservative values. The problem is when you get people that don't have strong conservative values, uh, you wind up with a situation that we saw 
uh, over in Craighead County. Someone who claims to be a conservative turns out not to be a conservative because he's swayed uh, uh, by by whim. He's like a windsock. Whatever direction the wind is blowing, uh, what do you call those things on the top of a house? A weather vane. Right? It's like a weather vane. You know, when the wind is blowing, that's the direction that he's going in. And that's unfortunate. Uh, of course, we've talked quite a bit about and with Dan Sullivan today, another strong conservative. Um, uh, it's my firm belief that Bob Ballinger will be the next attorney general, another strong conservative. Of course, our uh, great lieutenant governor, Tim Griffin, yeah. um, uh, I strongly support uh, for governor and he will be the next governor. But he needs your support, folks. It's not don't take it for granted. Uh, that's a, a, a little bit off, as is the, uh, the AG's position. But we need to start thinking ahead. That's the thing. You can't think about these things uh, right before they're going to happen. You need to plan ahead for these kind of things. Right. Uh, there's uh, just got appointed a good, strong, conservative uh, federal judge to the bench here in Little Rock, uh, Lee Rudofsky, who um, used to be the solicitor general for the state. And then he worked uh, for Walmart uh, up in Northwest. Uh, and so he's a good conservative federal judge. And so every direction that we look, we need to ensure that we have a good conservative voices. Let's not forget our senators, of course. Tom Cotton apparently running unopposed, so uh, he certainly uh, doesn't need um, too much fanfare, but nonetheless deserving of it. Uh, and, and, of course, Senator Bozeman. Senator Bozeman sometimes, uh, you know, he's kind of like uh, uh, the little engine that could. He doesn't necessarily get as much attention as he justly deserves. He is a solid, conservative, and really a thoughtful individual. Uh, And so I'm a strong supporter of his. And when he's up for re-election, I I understand that he's likely to be running for re-election. He has my support. Of course, that and a nickel won't get you a cup of coffee any longer. But nonetheless... I hope to communicate to Dave's audience the importance of keeping your eye always open for the strong conservative running for any government office, state or federal, out of Arkansas. Uh, because uh, if we don't pay attention, watch out. This state could easily revert back, and we don't want that to happen. Of course, French Hill, my good friend, oh, French Hill. Fantastic, yeah. Uh, solid businessman, now solid congressman, and solid conservative. Uh, so that's uh, these are the people that will help continue to propel this state in the right direction. But that's a choice that the citizens of Arkansas have to move in the right direction or move in the wrong direction. And so don't become complacent. Don't become complacent. Go out and vote. Because if you don't, if you happen to live in a district in which the primary is critical, well, then go vote, vote in that primary. If you live in a district in which the general is more important, then vote in the general. Or both, of course, just to be clear. For example, in my district, the primary doesn't matter. There's usually only one Republican candidate. So uh, I always support the Republican candidate. So, so here's an interesting yeah. thing that was brought up to me the other day um, in the Young Republicans meeting, is that we vote for Supreme Court justices for the state of Arkansas during the primary and so that's something to take into that's consideration. Oh, so yes. that's some, it's very important to take into know. consideration. If you don't have an important primary in your area and the general only matters, you know, for voting for Arkansas Supreme Court justices, you got to get out in March. Well, thank you for highlighting that. Or I May. did not even know that. That goes for state circuit judges, too. The circuit. I uh, don't know about circuit judges. And there's the district court judges. It's all. Really? Yeah. Why is it on the it's early ballot like that? It's, it's um, you know, because it's. 
what nonpartisan, right? Oh, and therefore so it belongs. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure the reasoning. Yeah. That was just introduced. I didn't know that was the case until point. Tuesday it's night. A good point. And so Those that was are, yeah. just an interesting observation that, that was brought is, to my attention. That is. L- listen, the most important uh, thing that you can do uh, as a citizen uh, is vote. Meaning it's not the most important thing that you can do as a person, right? Raise your kids. Uh, there are plenty of things that are uh, more important than voting. But as a citizen, an act as a citizen, the most important thing that you can do is vote. And I um, uh, vote every time I can. I say that because, uh, in fact, while I was a big supporter, as you know, of Trump on this show, I used to call in. Uh, when I was in New York taking care of my mother and I didn't have an opportunity to vote. I, I, did, I thought I was going to be able to come back and vote and then it was too late to get an absentee ballot and frankly I wasn't paying that much attention to it because as uh, you all and, and, and uh, Dave, Dave's listeners know, I was right. uh, home taking care of my mother who was ill. She's passed. Uh, and so, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen but uh, if you're a citizen in the state of Arkansas and you have the ability to vote, uh, do so. Do so. Make a difference. It's that simple. Um, I think that uh, we should. Zach here. Yeah, let's take our final break so that we can have a uh, a good lengthy um, final segment, and then we'll bid everyone adieu. This is a Dave Ellswick show. I am Robert Steinbuck taking abuse from Hannah Webb Howard and Chris Corbett during the break. We are back, and I'm taking over. I'm taking over because they're abusing me here, folks. I need your help. Just for the record, I think I paid you a compliment. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, it's such a rarity that I thought it was one of your normal abusive lines. To clarify. I'm offended. I'm a liberal. I'm offended. To clarify, the comment was, you're a smart guy, but you don't pay much attention. Huh? Huh? What? <laughs> what was that? Say what? The truth is what that was. That was a double-edged sword. That was a... That was yeah. a that was a backhanded compliment. <laughs> there that was you like, go. That, that's like, you hey, can dish it out, but yeah. you sure can't take it. Oh, Jay with a hey, genius. Jay with Wait, a... Exactly. Yeah. Screw it up every oh, time. Oh, genius with a J. Can't even get it out. Hey, he's like, hey, that suit looks looks good on you. You know? Hey, you did well for yourself. Bless your heart. Yeah. Hey, why don't we do this in our last segment? We've got some uh, entertainment to share with you all. Uh, and that is, let's let's go to some clips Zach, play clip number one for us, if you can. It's a Muslim did it. Right. They don't. They just don't do anything. Yeah, Joe. And, and, and here's the thing. You know, I was I was I was at the rally for the Parkland kids last year, and I also want to talk about not just the sort of terror in the classroom. I can tell you the terror of people in the classroom. The teachers. I'm faculty. I've gone through active shooter training. I know the fear of, you know, hearing a bang outside. I know the concerns that students have. Well, well, what would happen if someone came down the hallway, Dr. Johnson? Do you have to guard the door? Which way do we go here and there? The idea that we are basically sending our children into places that they consider to be combat zones every day are a problem. And look, unfortunately, it's bad enough that the Republicans only seem to care if the shooter is black or brown or something else like that. But I recognize that the Republican Party as a whole, and unfortunately, Fortunately, some conservative Democrats didn't even care about the colors of the victims. If white children in Sandy Hook can be murdered in mass, 
and yet members of Congress throw up their hands, then they clearly do not care about anything in this country. They are more in love with their guns than they are in different kinds of children in this, color, in this country, regardless of what color they are. And that's the most disappointing and disgusting thing about the epidemic of violence we've seen in the inner city, in the country, in the suburbs, and everywhere else in this country over the last 20 years. You know, at least one of the kids yesterday, one of the surviving kids in the, at the high school in uh, Santa Clarita said something. Yeah, listen, uh, Chris was asking, who's that? Uh, who's that? Every leftist. That's who that is. Who was that so, guy? That was a guy on MSNBC uh, commenting that uh, that Republicans like their guns more than their kids. We like them so much that maybe we should arm the teachers who are willing and able and comfortable. Arm the teachers because you know, I promise you they're not going to come in if they think their teacher's going to shoot them. Seriously. Exactly. And of course... Um, we did that here in Arkansas, right? Uh, we passed campus carry. I was a supporter way back on the original version of the bill, and of course, every version thereafter that got gutted. Um, right. So the the first, well, the first version didn't pass. Then the second version passed, but it gave an uh, uh, an out to to schools. So, needless to say, all the leftist administrators took the out, so it never got applied. And then the third version of Charlie Collins's campus carry got passed. It said, "Guess what? Guess what?" Administrators don't own public property. They are bureaucrats hired by government to work for the people. And the elected officials represent the, the public regarding public property. And elected officials decide who gets to go on public property. And so the elected officials said, guess what? With proper training, with enhanced licensing, uh, individuals can carry on campuses. That makes campuses safer. Safer. That's what that does. Well, and so let's not forget the comment in there about the color of the children mattered. Oh, well, please. Racist. Well, it goes racist, back to everything we racist. talked about. It seriously goes back right. to everything we talked about. Wow. That doesn't, no one cares. Like, that's. They're children. It's, we don't care what color they are. They're children. So we care about them because they are children and we care about their life. We just think to protect them, we should have less gun restrictions but because you know, that's the proper Hannah, way to protect Hannah, them. Hannah, Hannah, I just wish you could be educated, i.e. indoctrinated better by the left so that you <laughs> can understand if you don't agree with the left, you're a racist. And it doesn't help that you're white. You're just a racist. The only thing that I have going for me is that I'm a woman. That's the only small little percentage that makes but my opinion matter. you're a conservative matter. southern woman. So I it think, just nullifies everything Well, else. I think they pretty much kick That's, you out. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in, the, in the basket of deplorables with the rest of us. Oh, absolutely. Sorry. 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 Well, I'm a racist, too. You know, uh, 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 an observant Jew whose who's, uh, father lived under Nazi uh, occupation uh, and Stalinist rule. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a racist, too. Just to be clear, folks, I'm being sarcastic, so don't quote me on that. I can hear that little snippet being played back later. Oh, right? man. Oh, man. But the, the point is, according to the leftists, a, a, a conservative, observant Jew whose father lived under Nazi occupation, uh, he's a racist. Now that that's the absurdity of these. And he tries to connect those two issues. That's what he's yeah. trying to do, right? Which are what racist and no guns, right? Well, any, exactly because any time mm-hmm. you disagree with the left, you're racist. That's right. Well, and, and he was saying we've totally lost our minds because we didn't even try to care when the white children got murdered. We yeah. didn't even try to regulate guns when the white kids got murdered. You know, I'd how do you even respond to that? Yeah, how do you respond? You say, hey, guess what? Uh, I love all children. 
uh, black, white, and, and, and any other shade that you want to uh, mention. Uh, and I believe in the same policy for all of them, that we shouldn't send kids into uh, shooting zones that are places in which we tell law-abiding citizens they can't carry guns and then thereafter allow criminals to walk in with guns and shoot up the kids. So that's oh, why man. I'm for campus carry. Right. It's not that complicated. Absolutely. Well, so so there's this teach. So my mom's a school teacher. The, one of the, I don't know exactly what he teaches. I know that he has an ag background. He may teach ag. Anyways, may teach shop. He's made these really cool devices that are in every teacher's room, and he's made one for every single teacher at their school. And they're like automatic lock stops. Basically, once you shut the door and activate whatever this device is, it's super simple, whatever it is. You can't get the door open. Mm. And so, they've done, uh, granted, that's not going to solve the issue, but it's a little... It's an added layer of oh, protection. Oh, let me tell you, that's it's a significant... Uh, sure, one of the problems when you have these active shooters is that they... they open the doors right and you right. can't barricade the doors so my sister who works in the school district next to parkland uh and knows the uh, someone on on the police force that actually went in you remember the first police force showed up and had coffee and donuts when the yeah. when the guy on scene told them to wait and then i think coral gable showed up and said what are you guys doing and they ran in they ran in because that's what cops are supposed to do run in Right. They run into the the gunshots, not away from the gunshots. That's their job. But those those delicate daisies at the first police uh, force waited outside. For whom? For Coral Gables to show up? Yeah. For whom were they waiting? Yeah. Do your job, man. That's right. That's it. That's it. And so uh, she has significant training uh, on what to do, and they locked their doors, and then and they're locked. Once they're locked. No one's getting in. The problem is it's, it can be risky because you can inadvertently lock yourself out and then you're in the line of fire. But those are the right. decisions that you have to make in those, in those contexts, how to create safety. Uh, the school here uh, that I teach at gave one of these training classes. I, I think it could be supplemented, but it had some uh, salient points. Um, I, and I think I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned in your class, I mentioned in one of my classes, I don't lock the doors because you get students coming in and out to go to the bathroom and that kind of thing. They're adult students, of course, right. but I close the doors so that every time someone's walking in or out, at least everyone in the classroom can hear it so that there won't be someone surprising us. Right. Now, what does that do? Not too much, but it's something. It's something. So here's what's interesting. When I was in college, I had one professor. You know, you never did. You never did tornado drills. You don't do. You don't do all the drills that elementary students do. But I had one professor in particular. It was in my chemistry lab class, and you know, of course, you have like these big, long lab, lab tables. And part of our first homework assignment was we had to analyze basically the line of sight, the line that a bullet would go if there was an active shooter situation. Wow. And he made us prepare for that. Oh. The very first thing in the semester, wow. we, you know, we had to diagram yeah. out, you know, here, if we get into the active shooter situation, here's what we're going to do. And here's where you need to hit the deck. Right. And so that there's no angle, essentially, that a bullet could hit you. So it was interesting. Only one class ever. teach, And so my time at ASU, we had two um, campus shooter situations. So the wow. first time, a guy literally drove his pickup truck into the Union Square Got out of it with his shotgun and was just, I don't know what he was doing. No one really knows what he's doing. He, was, he lost his mind. He was mad at the university for whatever reason. No one was hurt. They talked him down. I don't know if they negotiated with him. No shots fired at him or from him. 
And so that was legitimate. And I wasn't on campus during that situation. Um, and then it was a couple weeks later. So, of course, that was fresh. A couple weeks later, for a film class, these students were walking around with these machete lock shooting some type of film i I don't know what situation was so another active shooter situation or active person with weapon on campus situation happened right and that time i was in my dorm and i mean i was and of course you know we knew that okay there's probably not really there wasn't an active shooter roaming my halls of my building but i lived there i was at my home and i had nothing to do but shut and lock my door and seriously what and what happened where my parents came to get me to get me the heck off campus right, because we right. had no other option. That's right. That's right. Well, that's what you do. One of the safest moves is to move away from the danger, really. When I worked in uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, it was after 9-11, and it was uh, some, like the, uh, like the governor of Georgia or something was flying into D.C. In, in a private plane, and they didn't give the proper alerts, and they started to... Uh, get everybody out of the Capitol. And wow. I went with some colleagues, jumped in my car, and just kept driving. Because I, I'm not hanging around. Right. I'm getting out of Dodge. Uh, yeah. So that's often the safest move. We, when we had this training session, one, of, uh, one professor, when asked the question, what can you do to, to protect yourself? And this is a professor, Hannah, that you've told me said he never handled a gun even. Uh, this uh, professor said, uh, carry a firearm. So apparently wow. even someone who's never handled a firearm understands. They get it. They get it. They get it. One of the ways to be safe is to carry a firearm. Because a person with a gun, right? That's can be right. stopped by another person by with a gun. By another person with a gun. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So be safe, everybody. Uh, I just saw Dave Ellswick poking his head in. Thank goodness. Uh, he's uh, up and well. And God bless you all. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.